Shadow. 
Well, greetings and welcome, all you commanders, eagles, and angels. This is Rainbird, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Tarama's Hard News on Friday night on BBS Radio Station 1. So we're grateful you join us here tonight. We'd like to take a few mo- moments to set the tone for the evening. So let's start with a few gentle breaths. Breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth slowly, gently, mindfully. As we let go of that drop of the day, go into our heart space. There, let's gather around with our guides and guardians, our ancestors, our totems, our spirit teams. Whoever you'd like to join with you with that kimi drum. And there's a council fire. It's in the center. Let us gather around that council fire in that virtual way we know how to do. Coming close. As we call in the seven galactic directions in the Mayan tradition. Welcome from the east to the house of light. May wisdom open in the dawn that is upon us so that we may see everything in clarity. And we welcome from the north the house of night. May wisdom mature among us so that we may see everything from within. We greet from the West, the house of transformation. May wisdom be transformed into right action so that we might accomplish what must be done. We welcome from the South, the House of Eternal Sun. May right action give us the harvest so that we might enjoy the fruits of the planetary being. Welcome from above, the house of paradise, where the star people and the ancestors gather. May their blessings reach us now.
greet from below the house of the earth. May the beating of the crystal planet's heart bless us with its harmonies so that we might end war. And we welcome from the central source of the galaxy, which is everywhere at once. May every day be recognized as the light of mutual love. Ayam, Hunaku, even Maya, even Ho. Ayam, Hunaku. Even Maya, Imaho. I am Hunaku. Even Maya, Imaho. All hail the harmony of mind and nature. Aho, Matakriyaku. All my relations. In Lakesh Alakin. I am another you, you are another me. So, stay wherever that drum beat took us. I take a few moments to talk about the Mayan record of days for today and for the week ahead. So, today is the white resonant mirror at the seven etnob. It's kin number 98. And those special words, <laughs> descriptive words for etznab, reflect, order, and endlessness. That, that seven tone, the resonant tone, inspiring attunement and channel. So here's the mantra for today. I channel in order to reflect inspiring order. I feel the matrix of endlessness with the resonant tone of attunement. I am guided by the power of heart. And that would be the white dog. <laughs> and the occult power for this evening is the blue knight. Our ally today is the red dragon. And our challenge teacher today is the yellow star. So that's, <clears throat> that's today. And let's look at that Etznob just a little bit more. Etznob is a warrior aspect, and it's about working on our groundedness and about that wise use of honesty. And it's about self-understanding. You get a lot of self-understanding by looking in that mirror. So let's embrace these gifts of Scrying the unseen, that fluidity and persistence that the mirror gives us. And let go of any illusion of separateness, any fear or any abandonment. Uh, so as we embrace these energies today, that mirror energy. And tomorrow, Saturday, we're moving on. Co-op, the storm. And it's an eight co-op the galactic storm. So this is a visionary aspect the storm is. 
and it's it's about creating transformation for others, and it's about lighting clear thought. So we embrace these gifts of possibility and freedom, the power of catalyzing. We let go of any addiction to crisis, despair, or fear, or that illusion of separateness. We embrace these energies on Saturday. And then moving on to Sunday, it's a, <clears throat> a nine and a half, the yellow solar sun. Uh, of course, that's like the double one, isn't it? The solar sun. So this is a healing aspect. And the sun is about rising to Christ consciousness, about striving towards wholeness and transmitting energy to others. So we embrace these gifts of possibility thinking and unconditional love, and that gift of the God self. We let go of any limitation, any separation as we embrace these energies on Sunday. And then moving on to Monday, a tent image to the red planetary dragon. We begin the sixth union, and this sixth union. You'll remember it has those 10 portal days in it right in a row. So we'll get to that as we go through um, through Kimi and then we begin those 10 days. Well, here we are with Inish, the dragon, on Monday. And this is an artist aspect. It's about creation and self-dependence. It's about trusting in the universe and having clarity of mind. So let's embrace these gifts of being that source of creation, the beginning, that beginner's mind. If we let go of any illusion of lack of support, we embrace these energies. On, on Monday, and then on Tuesday, it's 11, eat the white spectral wind. And so this wind energy, each is a visionary aspect. And it's about co-creation of heaven on earth. So we're looking for truth in all matters and we're remembering our unity with spirit and we carry that visionary aspect with our gifts of having that voice of spirit and spirit working through us. So let's let go of any judgment of others and secretiveness as we embrace these energies on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday, the last day of January, <laughs> it's the 12 Akbal, the blue crystal night. And so these crystal tones that the Space Station Plaza has started these uh, Zoom meetings on the, every crystal tone um, that we have. And so I'll give you the, the meet, it's a Zoom call, and I'll give you the times in the meeting ID information if you want to attend it, since this is the, the crystal night. <clears throat> so here's the Zoom call number, 818-1682-8783. And I'll say it again in case you're writing it down. You need to get it, 8181 and it begins at 11 and goes to one one eleven or beyond. And it's called the Global Crystal 10 Meeting. There's a passcode, and that passcode 
you guessed it, it's 1320. <laughs> so if you want to attend that and, and, and hook up with other people working with the Mayan record of days, and that's, that's a good way to do it. I haven't done it yet, so I don't have any feedback from that yet. I keep forgetting. <laughs> uh, it'll, it'll be on, on Wednesday, which is the Blue Crystal Night. It's the 12 o'clock ball, and, and that's, that, that's that meeting time. So I just wanted to let you know about that. And let's look at that Blue Crystal Night. It's an artist aspect. It's that crystal toe, which is complex stability. It's, <laughs> it's very powerful. And uh, working with the night in our participation and belief in abundance and working with learning from our dream time. And uh, we have those gifts of that protection of the night with Aqual. So as we are the mystery of life, let us let go of any self-indulgence, any withdrawal as we embrace these energies on this crystal day. On Wednesday, and then Thursday, we begin um, February. And in the beginning of February is a special holiday. So I always call the 1st of February Candle Mass, but it's St. Bridget's Day, and it's which is all those different letters that has a B and an L and and the C in it, but it's pronounced Imosh <laughs> by the Scottish. <laughs> and we also know it as Groundhog Day. Uh, so that's <clears throat> that's on Friday. So let's talk about Thursday. It's a 13 con, it's a yellow cosmic seed. It's a healing aspect, and it's about our openness to life, our self-determination. It's about harmony seeking, and it's about timing. The seed really teaches us about timing. So let's embrace these gifts, that possibility and potential creation. As we let go of any stagnation, any lack of self-confidence or any hesitation or any lack of trust, we embrace these energies on Thursday, the 13th cob, that yellow cosmic seed, that cosmic tone is the promise of change. And then on Friday is the one Chichong is the red magnetic serpent. And so it's magnetic tone, so we begin a new wave of the serpent. And our guidance for this wave is to be with equanimity without extremes in every action. So <clears throat> that's that guidance, and we will be celebrating mush. Or, or Groundhog Day. <laughs> it is that cross point between the winter solstice and the spring equinox. So that's, we see that light is here and we've got that. We're headed towards the equinox in six weeks. And so no matter what the groundhog does, we still have six more weeks until the spring equinox. <laughs> And so that's how that works out. And <clears throat> we'll be talking about that more next, some more next Friday. There, but let's just take a moment to look at this um, Chi Chong energy. It's a warrior aspect, and it's about 
remaining open to change and distinguishing between our body and our soul and transmuting energy. That serpent gives us that gift of transmutation. So we have that motivation to change and that instinct and body sensing to go with it, to stay grounded, stay in that body, change that skin. Let go of any insecurity, any fears of intimacy, or any issues about the body, or any blockages by the ego with this energy. And we will talk about it more next Friday when we come back on Groundhog Day. And so, with that, I change my hat as we are our listener supported radio program. It's each of us that makes it happen. And we like to keep up with our services on BBS Radio. So we just got the second week of January paid, and we need to pay for the next two weeks. So let's focus on that as we (laughs) make our contributions. We need $409 for these next two weeks. And those rates will go up next next month more than likely because we have more days. (laughs) Even though it's February, it's a short month. There has a whole lot of weekends. It has four weekends and then some. So um, it will be it will be a little bit more next time. So let's see if we can get caught up. And so go into your heart space. See what is yours to give. And then go to bbsradio.com. And you're looking for the schedule. This is how you make a payment to our account. So you look for the schedule. And you see our show listed on Friday nights at the 8 o'clock hour in the Central Times, which is where BBS is in Central Times. So it's listed at the 8 o'clock hour. <clears throat> and we, um, all you have to do is click on that icon. As you see that listing, you'll see an icon for our show. You click on that icon, and it takes you directly to our account with BBS Radio. We're using your bank card. You can make a donation in any amount. You'll find that icon on Thursday with a night at the round table with the panel. Find a different icon there. Click on that icon at the 8 o'clock hour. Same time, but on Thursday for the night at the round table. So um, click on that icon. Make that donation there if you like. And then on Saturday on BBS Radio Station 2, so you have to look at the radio station two schedule and find that at the three thirty hour. You'll see our program listed: the the history of Nasera and our galactic origins with Tara and Lama. As you click on that icon, that takes you to our account too. So you can make that donation there as well. So be sure to join us on Saturdays on radio station two. And it's always a a long day in never a dull moment. So, if you've not been on that, if you're just a radio station one listener, you might venture out and <laughs> and check us out there. So, we're looking for new people to donate, as it's pretty tight with the regulars. We need more. We need more. So, even if it's five, ten, twenty dollars, every little bit helps, and it's always good to participate in this way. So. Paying it forward like that brings many, many gifts in return, and so many blessings come your way as you do so. So lots of gratitude for you investing in your abundance that way. And thank you for taking that action. 13 thank yous and honey in the heart. We're also assisting Tom and 
Tara and Lama with their needs. And this week, they have bills coming due in February. One of them's due on the 4th. I think it was over $100. So we want to make sure that we have that taken care of. And, and also, they need $200 for their living expenses. So that being said, they have coming up in the first part of February, $526 in bills with Verizon, Windstream, gas, and electric. So those are coming on. And so as we can go into our heart space and see what is ours to give, we'll share with Tara and Rama and support them and the work they do. We're so grateful for what they bring to us each week and grateful for these programs. And we become that family of uh, folks that <laughs> that that have that similar interest in expanding all the time and and learning all the time and experiencing all the time and have that conversation that we can have, which we can't have with just anybody, in case you haven't noticed. So, <laughs> thank you for showing up. Thank you for um, taking the action as we make a contribution to Tar and Rama. You want to access their PayPal account. You do that by going to their web address, which is rainbowroundtable.net. And there on the homepage, on the menu bar at the top, you'll see the donate link. Or if you click, click on the menu grid, uh, it's like 42 items and it's listed at number 41, the donate link. Click on it there. And anyway, you're going to get to the PayPal account, Rainbow Roundtable PayPal account has an email address, and you need this email address in order to access the friends option. So please write this down, Koran9999 at hotmail.com. And that way you can do the gifting option. It used to be called friends and family, but it's not called that anymore. And sometimes it's indicated with a heart, but I haven't seen that. But uh, if you have any trouble, make it a little more obscure. But it's not a commercial thing. This is a gifting process. So if you can't find how to do, find that gifting link or don't know how to do it, you can always go to the support and they'll tell you how to make a gift. But um, so that's the email address you need to put into the gift, the gifting uh, section. And I'll give it to you again, Koran9999 at hotmail.com. So there you have it. That's important. Either way, it is perfect, though. We're grateful for your gifts, and however they come, that's fine. <laughs> so, but as you're sending something, please let Robin know that you sent it. So his email address for that correspondence is Koran999 at Comcast.net. And then as you need it, the mailing address is Ram D. Berkowitz, R-A-M-D Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, Post Office Box 280-280, and that's in Santa Cruz, New Mexico, where the zip code is 87567. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I did forget to mention that they are looking to find another printer. And so, and they do uh, require $200 each week for their living expenses. And so, 
we can be prompt with that so that Ronald can go out and be looking for the printer. He's he's going to look for a bargain, but he's going to know that he needs to get an office printer, the one that just prints out um, script, manuscript. He doesn't need all the pictures and stuff, so they're nice to have. But he, you generally speaking, an office printer will uh, have an efficient way to supply the ink. And that seems to be the issue with the one he's got, is the ink supply is... More expensive, less, <laughs> buy, you buy less for more money. <laughs> and so he's looking for a change there. And so put that in your thought process that one just pops in front of him and along his path <laughs> and uh, see what magic happens. So 13 thank yous, honey in the heart. I want to pass this talking stick. We are so grateful for all of you. So much gratitude for all the ways that you show up. And thank you for showing up in this way. We, we are really grateful. So, that being said, here comes this talking stick. It has a lot of dragon energy in it, and it has unicorn magic, and it has lots of little people, lots of fairies and feathers. <laughs> and they have a talking stick that's got candles all over it because candle mass is coming. So, um, so there you go. They're celebrating. They and there's there's a few groundhogs on board and lots of other magical people. So greetings, Tara and Lama. Here comes this talking stick. Welcome. <laughs> greetings. greetings, everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. All you commanders, eagles, and angels that are here. We are so and grateful. Beyond. To be here. <laughs> we were blessed from all of you from our request for assistance to help get BBS Radio uh, some uh, funds, and we got a really wonderful response. And so we have been able to complete paying for the second week of uh, January. And we have to make a few juggling decisions about we need to get a different printer. We've reached a crossroads with the one we got. Yeah. And uh, Rainbird said, go to the secondhand store, Rama, you'll find one. Yep. You know, that uh, they have something, something about a basement store. It's like a thrift shop. I remember being there with uh, Rainbird when we were over there in that neck of the woods and you, she said, you know, you can find a, a printer for $10, secondhand, used, but it works fine. So let's put that in our cap and smoke it, and then we'll be able to give some more money instead of holding it back to seeing what we're going to do. We've come to the crossroads, meaning that yeah. this printer is going to demand another $260 for all four print cartridges. That is just, they're all out, just about the 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 black print cartridges, uh, you know, we've had it for less than two weeks, and it's below half left. Uh, so that's that's, and the other print cartridges are negligible; there's nothing left in them. So that would be a two hundred and sixty dollar bill because they cost, you know, sixty dollars 
each and uh, they always put a lot less like I was noting uh, ink in it too so Blaze of Violet Fire and uh, Magic is Afoot and Rama had got a message today yeah you want to talk about it darling um the I got a message from Lady Nada and she basically said that the ICJ, you know, came up all but calling for an immediate ceasefire. And the way she basically put it to me is that there are, uh, it's complicated because there are parts of the ICJ that have to do with the criminal elements that run these structures across the planet and we have to end this in 30 seconds if we're going to get this played yeah it, it is time for lord michael and the violet flame and saint germain call it in yeah nada asked rama what's your suggestion and mother said it's time for mother yeah and what nada answered is well done sir yes so let's do it. Okay, we're going to play Marianne Williamson. This is from last Tuesday. I just thought she uh, she said a lot of things. That was on Amy Goodman on Tuesday. So you know that we progressed, but I want everybody to hear what she had to say about the life. This is positive. Oh, very positive. All right, just a second. I'm just going to fast forward it a little bit here. Marianne Williamson about her campaign against President Biden. Her name is on today's ballot in New Hampshire, though Biden's is not. Back in 20 seconds. Woman by Angel Olson. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org. I'm Amy Goodman with Juan Gonzalez. Voting has begun in New Hampshire in the nation's first primary. On the Republican side, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley is hoping to pull off an upset over former President Donald Trump, who won last week's caucus in Iowa by a record margin. On the Democratic side, there is a primary today in New Hampshire, but it's received little attention in part because President Joe Biden's name will not be on the ballot. Those supporters are organizing an unofficial write-in campaign. The Democratic National Committee stripped New Hampshire of its delegates after it refused to move its primary until after South Carolina. Historically, Iowa and New Hampshire have held the first contests, giving two of the whitest states in the nation considerable clout in the nominating process. In 2022, the DNC voted to hold the first primary in South Carolina, which has a significant population of color. Iowa agreed to the changes. The Democratic Iowa caucus will take place later. But New Hampshire did not and went ahead anyway with the primary and the Democratic Party as well as the Republicans. Over two dozen other candidates will be on the Democratic ballot in New Hampshire, most prominently Congressmember Dean Phillips of Minnesota and our next guest, Marianne Williamson, a best-selling author, self-described spiritual thought leader who also ran for president in 2020. 
Williamson has campaigned for a single-payer health care system, cutting the Pentagon's budget, creating a U.S. Department of Peace, and boldly addressing the climate crisis. She's also supported a ceasefire in Gaza. Marianne Williamson is joining us now from Manchester, New Hampshire. Marianne Williamson, welcome to Democracy Now! Can you talk about the fact that you are the only person on the Democratic ticket right now of the major Democratic candidates who is supporting the Gaza ceasefire and then go into your call for a Department of Peace? The ceasefire, even before the invasion of uh, Gaza uh, by the Israelis, I was on a video saying I thought it was a bad idea. And I have been calling for a ceasefire since the moment it began. You know, obviously there's a big difference between supporting Israel and supporting the Israeli government. There's a big difference between supporting Israel and supporting the policies of Benjamin Netanyahu. And uh, I've been very sorry to see the U.S. government go along with his policy uh, and this war. I think it's a terrible idea. It's terrible for Israel, obviously terrible for the Palestinians, for the region, and I think for the world. In terms of the Department of Peace, you know, uh, Franklin Roosevelt said we need to do more than end wars. We need to end the beginnings of all wars. Uh, just like with health and sickness, you, you don't just treat sickness, you learn to cultivate health. And we need to not just, you know, drop bombs and uh, put people in prison when there is conflict. We need to learn to prevent conflict. We need to learn to proactively create peace. And there are four there are four main factors involved in what's called peace building. And when these, these factors are present, statistically, that means there's going to be a higher incidence of peace and a lower incidence of conflict. And this is true whether it's a corner of an American city or another place in the world. And those factors are greater economic opportunities for women, greater educational opportunities for children, a reduction of violence against women, and an amelioration of unnecessary human despair. So just like they play war games, we need to play peace games. Just like we have a military academy, we need to have a peace academy. Just like we have an army of military personnel, we need armies of peace builders. And we need to have that uh, same kind of serious focus uh, and resources placed in creating peace that we now have on fighting wars. This forever war machine that the United States has is a path to disaster in this century. And Marion Williamson, can you talk about your decision to run as a Democrat rather than as an independent, given how much you diverge in many of your positions from the, uh, I guess, the Democratic Party elite? Well, that's the point. I, I don't diverge from the traditional values of the Democratic Party. They do. I'm a Roosevelt Democrat. I believe that the policies of the U.S. government should be used to help people. Now, that Democratic establishment elite that you just referred to, look at someone like myself or any progressive as though we are trying to hijack the party. In fact, they hijacked the party. We're Franklin and Eleanor, and they're the DuPonts and the Whitney's and the Morgans. They're a bunch of economic royalists. You know, that, that uh, Democratic mm -hmm. elite that you're talking about in the Democratic Party, when I was growing up, they would have been called Republicans. So I'm where in, you know, in my youth and in my growing up and uh, just from sort of my perspective, I'm where the center of the Democratic Party should and would have been had it not been for this profound influx of corporate money that has infused both parties. And you often invoke the idea of traditional values in your speeches. Uh, uh, could you talk a little bit more about what you mean by those traditional values? 
Well, I think that there's common sense involved in our trying to be better people. I think no matter whether someone is approaching this from a religious perspective or a secular perspective, we all know that if you try to be a person of integrity, of generosity, of forgiveness, owning your own mistakes, forgiving other people for theirs, your life works better. And I think that those same values and those same considerations, those same reflections on what it means to be good should apply to public policy as much as it applies to our personal behavior. Our public policy is guided by an essentially bankrupt on a moral level economic paradigm. There's no sense of, of, of ethics. There's no sense of owing anything to anyone. It's all fiduciary responsibility to the stockholder. And that has been going on for 50 years now. And it has devastated this country. It has devast- has completely hollowed out our middle class. It has led to a $50 trillion transfer of wealth from the bottom 90% to the top 1%. If all you care about is stockholder value, at the expense of every other stakeholder's interest, at the expense of the workers, uh, at the expense of the community, at the expense of the environment, what happens? What happens is what has happened to this country, where a majority of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. A majority of Americans cannot absorb a $500 unexpected expenditure. And now 39% of Americans claim that they regularly skip meals in order to pay their rent. This is intolerable. It is unacceptable. And we need a president who will say so. I wanted to talk about you being on the Democratic primary ballot. Um, at a presidential forum you were at uh, that I co-moderated in South Carolina in 2019, I, <laughs> I questioned then Democratic presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren during that forum at South Carolina State about the primary calendar. Senator Warren, just a 30 seconds left. But speaking about racial injustice, do you think the order of the primary state should change? You have Iowa and New Hampshire. Wait, let, they, me, make, let me just, before you finish, are you actually going to ask me to sit here and criticize Iowa and New Hampshire? <laughs> no, I'm asking about the order. Well, that, that is what I But, but let me just about. ask. There two of the whitest states in the country. And then we moved to South Carolina with a, um, a very significant uh, population of people of color. And it means the candidates spend so much of their time catering to those first two states. Overall, do you think that should change? I'm just a player in the game on this one. And I am delighted to be in South Carolina. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. You Massachusetts Senator and then presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren. If you could respond to that question, Marianne Williamson, I mean, the reason the DNC, they weren't canceling the New Hampshire primary. They just said Iowa and New Hampshire should come after later, especially South Carolina, which has a larger uh, community of color. Uh, Talk about your decision to be on the New Hampshire ballot. Well, if the DNC was honestly, authentically, and sincerely coming up from a place of concern about racial diversity, that would be one thing. I don't think that's what happened here. I don't even think, I don't know anyone in South Carolina who really thinks that's what happened here. What happened here is that Joe Biden came in fourth place or fifth place last time, and they wanted to avoid an embarrassment. Uh, obviously, racial diversity matters, but let me tell you what else matters, and that is economic diversity. And when you want to talk about the actual experience 
experience of the average American, the working, uh, the working class Americans in, in the United States, uh, New Hampshire is as much a ground zero as is any other state. Uh, I don't think that any of us should be thinking in terms of playing favorites with the states. And um, I'm just showing up where there are people. Uh, New Hampshire responded to uh, the DNC by saying, no, our state constitution says we're having a, a primary. And that's just the way it is. And so I'm here because they're having a primary. And I'm taking my cue from the people and not from the DNC. Right, Mary Williamson, I wanted to ask you about your position on the, uh, supporting the ceasefire in Gaza. You've, you've supported that since October. Do you think that the failure of the Democratic Party leadership and President Biden uh, to take a, uh, a, a, a clear stand uh, in defense of the Palestinian people is going to result in large numbers of young people especially turning away from this election? I think it's a risk unless we nominate someone like myself who's been very clear about all this from the beginning. You know, the president showed great moral clarity on October 7th, but he needs to show the same moral clarity regarding what has happened to the Palestinians. And uh, yeah, I think young people particularly uh, see a deep injustice there. And uh, yeah, I think that's a good reason for the Democrats to nominate somebody who represents a stand for uh, not just greater justice for the Palestinians, but for bold American leadership uh, to make sure that we are robustly and equally committed to this peace, safety, security, and sovereignty of both peoples, both Israeli and Palestinian. Can you talk about the New Hampshire's vote ceasefire campaign? Uh, even though President Biden isn't on the ballot, there is a write-in campaign for him. But there's also a write-in campaign to just say ceasefire. Your thoughts on this, Marianne Williamson? Well, I believe that if we're really concerned about the citizens of Gaza, if we're most deeply concerned about what action would most get uh, Joe Biden's attention and make him actually reconsider uh, his policies. I think it would be voting for a candidate who actually uh, stands for a ceasefire. I would think that my getting a lot of votes, given the fact that I, in fact, do stand for a ceasefire, would get more of a raised eyebrow from the president than would a writing campaign for ceasefire. But like in all of these things, the average, not the average, the, the, the citizen, the voter, uh, gets to make their decision for themselves. I hope that people who are considering uh, writing in ceasefire from that position, which I know is a sincere desire to help the people of Gaza, I hope they will consider uh, the possibility, which I believe is the reality, that a vote for me would be a stronger statement. Let me ask you about what happened at Davos. The government corporate elite there uh, seem to say that they think that President Trump is going to win uh, this next election. Um, when the stakes are this high, um, the two main contenders, Biden versus Trump, of course, always thrown around in the United States for any third party or another Democratic presidential candidate like yourself, is you could be the spoiler in this high stakes election. Your response to that? Well, first of all, it's important to remember that this today is a primary. You cannot be a spoiler in a primary. In terms of the general election, I, I think uh, all of us who are committed to Donald Trump not returning to the White House have a lot to think about there. I would never do anything that I felt would increase the possibility of Donald Trump returning to the presidency. 
Well, we have less than a minute uh, left, but I wanted to ask you about immigration, which has become a major, major issue uh, once again uh, in this uh, presidential race. Your your stance on the whole issue of sealing the border and reducing uh, uh, undocumented migration into the country and and, uh, and limiting the number of asylum seekers? Asylum to me is a sacrosanct principle. Obviously, Congress has failed us, obviously, on the level of the symptom. We simply need greater infrastructure. We need more judges. We need more interviewers. We need more people who can establish credible fear, move people on in the process of integrating into American society if they do. Uh, meet that standard. Uh, others need to go back to their homes, uh, to their home countries, and begin the process legally from there. However, in this issue, as in so many others, my candidacy represents an intention to look at root cause and not just symptom. We need to ask ourselves why do so many people feel such a desperate need to make their way to the United States from Latin America, particularly? And if we look at that, we see America's fingerprints in far too many ways. I want to help the American people wisely and compassionately look in the mirror. If you look at the ways that our own foreign policy over the last 40, 50, 60 years have contributed to the economic destabilization of so many of these countries, I want to see the United States help restabilize what we in too many ways help destabilize. That will include removing the sanctions on Venezuela, removing the sanctions on Cuba, removing Cuba from the terrorist list, obviously, as well. We and have to leave it there. That, we should be giving far more aid. Thank you. Marion Williamson, 2024 Democratic presidential candidate on the ballot in New Hampshire. I'm Amy Good. All right, let's get it. We got to get off the air here. There's a live show. Ram will get the phone numbers. 720-716-7301. And the PIN code is 353-863-POUND. So we'll see you there on the conference, everybody. And then we'll be right back here at BBS Radio. Best radio in your neighborhood uh, in an hour. Okay, sat down forever. See you on the conference, everyone.
Welcome back, everybody. It's coming along here. Hi, Precious Art. Thank you for joining us for our weekly vlog. Step by step, the beings of light from the system of our grand central sun are continuing to assist humanity, the elemental kingdom, and Mother Earth to gently assimilate higher and higher frequencies of light. This process will build in momentum through the March equinox in 2024. This is preparing all of us to withstand the quantum shift we will take during the equinox. This shift is encoded with brand new solar light codes that will greatly enhance our individual and collective creative abilities. This preparation is an essential step for the miracles we are destined to co-create this year as we serve as the hands of our Father, Mother, God in the world of form. During the months leading up to the equinox, our I am presence and the beings of light will help us to tangibly experience the shift we are integrating at a cellular level. Fortunately, every one of us is now able to withstand higher and higher frequencies of fifth dimensional crystal and solar light. This means that this greatly amplified but gentle increase of energy, vibration, and consciousness will not feel nearly as intense or stressful as what we have already endured. We are being told that this is a time to be peaceful and to focus on our own needs our, and our physical, etheric, mental, and emotional bodies, knowing that as we are lifted up, all life is being lifted up with us. The beings of light are encouraging us to pay attention, to listen to our intuitive inner guidance, to meditate, and to communicate with God and the messengers of God that are now assisting us in wondrous ways we have not previously experienced. Today, the company of heaven is joining us for an activity of light that will help us with all we are being encouraged to do during this powerful preparation. If you have the heart call to participate, please join me and lightworkers around the world now. And we begin. Beloved presence of God, I am, through the divinity blazing in every heart flame, I invoke the silent watchers, the cosmic beings assisting us 
from our grand central sun, the solar logos in Earth's lineage, the mighty Elohim, the legions of light associated with our Father Mother God's golden flame of eternal peace and comfort. Legions of light blaze forth the most intensified frequency of this golden sacred fire that humanity, the elemental kingdom, and Mother Earth can endure. Blaze it in through and around every particle and wave of life evolving on this precious planet. Breathe this golden flame into the core of purity in every electron of life energy evolving on earth. Instantly transform every frequency of vibration that conflicts with the immaculate concept of God's eternal peace and comfort. Increase this activity daily and hourly with every holy breath I take. Allow me to be the open door for this golden flame. As I affirm, I am the immaculate concept of my I am presence, abiding within my fifth dimensional crystalline solar light bodies. I am holding this sacred space until all life on this sweet, earth is holy, ascended, and free. I now invoke a cosmic dispensation from my Father Mother God on behalf of all of the precious electrons now pulsating at their very core with the golden flame of eternal peace and comfort. In the full power and divine love of my Father, Mother, God. I invoke a cosmic dispensation that no longer may our life force, the electronic light substance of the universe, be misqualified or imperfectly clothed by the sons and daughters of God. I invoke a cosmic dispensation wherein the electrons within our life force will be invulnerably charged with purity's flame in action and passing through humanity's earthly bodies, which are the open doors to this expression in the physical world. The electronic light will remain with an invincible armor of divine love eternal peace and comfort, emitting perfection, but allowing none of the discord of humanity's physical, etheric, mental, and emotional bodies to change the vibratory action, color, or sound of its radiant presence. I now begin to fathom the blessing humanity's heartfelt call to the golden flame of eternal peace and comfort is for the precious electrons serving humanity, 
the elemental kingdom and Mother Earth. I realize as never before that I have come to Earth to serve as the hands of God and to love all life free. I know that through my consecrated efforts, so I shall. I am the hands of God. I have come to set right the vibratory action of all energy and substance in my world and in all of the world. I am the sacred hands of God moving through this earth. I am instantly reestablishing divinity wherever the light of God is applied. I invite, invoke, focus, concentrate, manifest and sustain the light of God on earth with every breath I take. I am a director of God's light. I am humbled before its magnificent presence. I am grateful to unleash God's power on earth. I am perpetually the light of God flowing through my heart flame, loving all life free. And so it is, beloved, I am that I am. God bless you, dear one. I look forward to being with you next week. this angelic and star race support transmission recorded on 8821 this lion's gate neutralizing dark alien AI and focusing on your breath at this powerful time the in-breath is the invitation of light from the universe 360 degrees into all cells of your body, all cells, the bones, blood, organs, all systems, allowing the cells of your body to drink in light at this time, at this powerful time, to feed on the light, to drink it, to absorb it. breath, a purging and releasing of lower energies back to the universe, back to the light. Allow more of your own natural light to return to you. Following that cycle of breath, the invitation of light from the horizon 
on the in-breath. Allowing that light to be absorbed in the body. On the out-breath, a purging of lower energies you've picked up in the 3D matrix. Sending them back to the universe, allowing more space in your body for more light in your body. As you do this, following this cycle of breath, I call your team in spirit the highest light and resonance, your higher self, monadic self, the oversoul, or angels, archangels, helpers, guides, star beings, star races, star councils. Calling also archangels from the great central sun of Sirius and psychic surgery teams from Sirius and Arcturus. Also zero point field angels, ultraviolet fire angels, security force angels. And breathe and feel the shift, feel the shift. Let's call the Archangels of the Horizontal Plane. Beginning in the East with Raphael, Archangel of Air. The symbol, the Caduceus. A crystal wand with two golden serpents entwined and where they meet near the top, two golden wings. As you focus on that symbol, call to Archangel Raphael to hold the space, to hold the space. To the south is Michael, Archangel of the Element of Fire. The symbol, a sword of flaming blue light. The energy, electric blue fire. As you focus on the sword, calling the energy of this angel into the space, to hold the space. and breathe and open. To the west is Gabriel, Archangel of Water. The symbol, a silver chalice or cup. The energy diamond white fire. Invite that fire to hold the space. To the north, completing the circle, Uriel, Archangel of Earth, the symbol a golden pentacle, a five-pointed star in a circle of light, the energy ruby red fire. Invite that fire in to hold the space. Four angels, four energies and open. And let's call the vertical force angels, Metatron and Standophon. Beginning with Metatron, 
Metatron brings the light down from the great central sun through the stargate of our sun, down into the room, filling the walls, the space with golden white light from the Christ grid, the ascension grid, down into the walls, the floor, the ceiling, the door, the window. into all objects in the room, sealing the room, closing off lower openings, lower astral openings, close and seal the room. And bring that light now down through the crown that opens, crown chakra opens, bring the light down to the third eye that opens, third eye opens, the center of the head, bring the light down to the throat that opens, Bring that light down also to the heart that opens. Bring that light further down to the solar plexus that opens. And down to the sacral chakra that opens in the belly. down to the base that opens. Light from the great central sun down to the base and breathe and open the inner channel. And allow this light to begin to clear and expand your inner channel. From crown to base. Let's call on Sandophon from the crystalline grid of the earth to bring up the light of the crystal grid, diamond white crystal grid up to the feet. Grounding your body deep into the earth. Up to the base chakra pelvic area grounding you deep into the earth also up to the hand chakras grounding the hands deep into the earth feet hands base grounding you And 
let's ask zero point energy angels to clear and seal your field closing your field closing your field and sealing it and sealing it with the light of the great central sun Let's call on your higher self to assist you in destroying any agreements you have in any lifetime or in any dimension that allows any negative alien AI in your body or energy field. If there are any agreements, see them before you as scrolls or parchments and rip them up and throw them into the light of the sun. Destroying any agreements from any lifetime, incarnation, timeline, destroy them that would seek to allow anything in your field that blocks your ascension process. Let's ask Metatron and all the beings working with you to seal your energy field, closing off any negative openings in your field with golden blue light from the great central sun. The light of our sun combined with the light of the sun of Sirius, a golden blue light seeding your field. I ask Michael, Metatron and Sandophon to open a portal of high frequency light in your field that begins to disable and neutralize and remove any alien AI in your energy field, including any dark nanotechnology interference in your chakra system, the etheric body and chakra system, to remove and disassemble far away from your energy field any interference, to clear the etheric body and chakra system with a high frequency light from the great central sun. Declare and release all programming and negative imprinting from any dark alien AI in your etheric body or chakra system. And breathe and allow that light from the angels to extend through your chakra system including all meridians, all energy flow in the body, chakras, energy centers and meridians, channels of energy, clearing all interference out, removing them through the portal and disassembling them far away from your field. Breathe and open as the psychic surgeons and also archangels begin to work on your energy field.
invite that light from the great central sun into the nervous system, the brain, the spinal cord, all nerves. Let's ask all the teams working with you to scan and find any alien AI or nanotechnology that's not for your highest good. To disable and neutralize and remove through the portal all interference. To remove it and disassemble it far away from your energy field. To clear your nervous system with a high frequency light, releasing all programming and negative imprinting. Clear and remove anything that should not be there, that's not helpful. invite that light into your immune system all the different organs around the body that comprises your immune system I ask your teams and angels to begin to disable any negative AI or dark nanotechnology disable and neutralize and remove through the portal and disassemble anything they find far away from your energy field. To clear your immune system with a high frequency light from the great central sun. Releasing all programming and negative imprinting connected to any dark AI. and open, allowing the work to continue through your field. And extend the light from the great central sun into the reproductive system. Allow the archangels and psychic surgeons to scan your body for dark AI or dark nanotechnology. find and disable and neutralize and remove from the portal any alien AI or dark nanotechnology interference in the reproductive system. Remove everything and disassemble it far away from your energy fields sweeping the whole of your reproductive system with a high frequency light to release all programming and negative imprinting. 
breathe and open. Extending the light into the blood of your body, the blood. To scan the blood for any dark AI or dark nanotechnology. To disable, neutralize and remove everything interfering out through the portal. To dissemble far away from your energy field, anything interfering. To clear the blood with a high frequency light. Releasing all programming and negative imprinting out from your field. Allow your body to feel lighter and freer, liberated from any interference. I ask the angels and psychic surgeon teams to scan your body and energy fields for any further AI in your fields. everything, disabling it, removing it, neutralizing it. Disassemble it far away from your energy field. Clear and sweep the whole of your body and energy fields, removing all nanotechnologies that interfere or dark alien AI. Releasing with all of this, all negative programming, including all negative religious programming, sexual breeding programming, conflict and war programming, slavery and persecution programming, release any and all agreements that would allow any 3D corporation or system or government or controlling elite to harvest or steal any of your energy or resources. To take away all fear or terror linked with any dark AI.
allowing more light, more love in your body, more connection to source energy. security force angels to block and seal and disappear any connection to dark timelines associated with dark alien AI. Dark artificial timelines leading to more global control, global manipulation, surveillance, dark invasive AI technologies and dark tyranny. This is not your timeline on this ascending planet. Feel your connection to source energy. Source energy through nature, through the planet, through Gaia, through the crystalline grid of the earth, through the Christ grid. Embracing the love of the new age of light. The love of the sixth sun, this new age of the sixth sun. Embracing the liberation of darkness, freedom from darkness. This is a time of tremendous upheaval as light and dark forces meet at this turning of the ages. This is a time of tremendous service to others on the earth plane. Many starseeds are seeking to serve others. This is a time where we can embrace unity consciousness of finding our soul family, of embracing soul growth through joy. Starseeds have their own unique timeline. I ask Security Force Angels to expand and open that one Ascension timeline for you. Allowing an intensification of this light from the great central sun. Archangels from the great central sun holding it. Syrian archangels holding it.
allowing the archangels to stabilize the one timeline, the ascension timeline. This timeline is your highest destiny, the starseed timeline on this planet. Release all connection to dark timelines. And breathe and open, breathe and open. And feel the calling of the future, the bright future, the bright future of the planet, the ascension future of the planet. Well, there's a release of all dark interference. The planet swept clean of interference. This is your destiny. Feel a different light in your body, a different sense of expansion and freedom. So that you can walk in this world, but not be of this world. You can walk in this world in light and release all touch of darkness. And finally, let's ask for ultraviolet fire to sweep your field, clearing any debris. Any dark debris, releasing all dark debris back to the universe. Allowing more light, more freedom in your field. ultraviolet fire angels clearing the chakra system, the nervous system, brain, spinal cord, all nerves, the immune system, and all the different organs around the body contributing to the immune system, the reproductive system, and the blood, and then also the whole of your energy field.
let's ask Michael, Metatron and Sandalfon to close the portal of light. To close it in your energy field and seal it. Let's thank all angels holding the space, the horizontal plane, the vertical force plane. And Syrian archangels from the great central sun. Zero point field angels, ultraviolet fire angels, and security force angels opening the one timeline for you. Thanking all psychic surgery teams from Sirius and Arcturus. Breathe, open, soften, relax. Feeling a shift in your energy field. This transmission is offered to you, as always, with love and blessings, love and blessings. servants of peace we'll bring ourselves back here Greetings, Mother. In the light, In the light of the most radiant one. In the office of Christ. And only in the office of the Christ. We invoke the loving energies 
of Saint Germain and We ask at this time for all Peshat warriors to be at peace in their hearts. <laughs> Oh, especially you, Mother. And, uh, yes, uh, let's just ask that it's um, done, uh, that uh, whatever has been done can be intervened upon now by you. That's what Mother, that you are. Uh, Rama kind of lent you out for the uh, next step to uh, Lady Master Nada today. <laughs> Greetings, Mother. Greetings, children of Ra. Yes, we can say it is that time where we Let some pause be seen. <laughs> well, there's this, there's a stir in, well, there's a stir in the pot, you might say, with uh, this International Court of Justice didn't quite take it to the, you know, order to cease fire. Yes. Yet on Amy... Uh, tonight, a uh, gentleman said, well, yes, but they ordered Israel to um, to focus on uh, not killing innocent women and children, etc. 70% of the uh, 26,000 are women and children. And they are innocents. They are not uh, the enemy, as you would say. Yes. And that they have no power in terms of they may not indict a country. They do have the power to indict an individual. And I know that uh, Rama was saying to Lady Nada, and I think you had something to say about it, too, is that um, that you would intervene in terms of seeing it to it, that, and Marianne Williamson said it tonight, too, that uh, the actions that need to be taken when you're the representative of a whole country of people over here in terms of solutions to getting, uh, Marianne said it that Don, uh, Biden is not taking those actions. No. Well, I'm going to pass the talking to you. What do you say? What do you say, Mother? In this pickle going on here, we're not waiting three or four years. No, we are not. There are events unfolding. Right now, to hold these folks accountable. It is about players in the field 
are not from here who have tremendous abilities to change reality, space, time, as we know it. And this is a very ancient place, ancient story called the Middle East. It is about this. Emergence place, so to speak. And right now, there is a shift in the process as the light has won. The dark is desperate to hold out. Yet they cannot because the frequencies coming in each day it's getting more intense for the toddler souls as Omina called them. We would say We're not giving dates yet. Those cargo ships in orbit. Once again, we bring this into the space. This is a story that's completing itself. We are obliged to take our wayward children to Dracos to stand trial for crimes against the galaxy and the local universe of Nebaton. It is already in motion to see this through the events that are unfolding now is because our wayward children know time's up. They're desperate to pull a fast one. Whatever that might be. Well, Mother Netanyahu's got a lot to lose because he's got two charges of oh at least fraud, some kind of a corruption corruption charges. And he knows that the war is what he's doing to buy his way to stay in power. And he's insisting it's going to go on for years because that's what his lower ego wants. And that's the, uh, the ticket for him to ride. Uh, and then there's some characters in the world court that are compromised. Yes. And then there's complete corruption in terms of 
our government here and because the International Criminal Court is right here on the turf of the United States, I mean, it's like a chokehold on that. Um, yet, yes. because Lady Master Nada, you might say, as it's been said, she has not studied law on the earth plane. Yet she's been the, uh, and still is, the head of the Solar Tribunal on Saturn. Yes. So she's the world bridger. And because. Cosmic law is brought into the focus here. Right. And, and it was possible to do that at the, at the world court. Yes. It wasn't going to happen at the ICC. Even though NADA has been able to address the ICC. Yes. And she's also been able to address the UN. Yes. And she's been present through all this uh, ICJ activities with these judges. Yes. Though she's not a judge. No. But, I mean, what are you in this whole, she who was here before all the gods were, what are you, I mean, isn't this uh, the moment where cosmic law and your uh, your uh, friend here, Lord Rama, uh, lent uh, your services out when Nada asked, you know, uh, what do you think, Rama, since the situation is what it is right now? And you said, well, you said you thought it was time for Mother to Nada and what did Mada say? Well met. Well done. Well done, sir. Sir. So, I pass the talking stick back to you, brother. What we can say about the situation is that we are at that time where the galactic forces will make their hand paw known, so to speak. Already this is taking place with so many craft in the skies. And we can say there are a few individuals that can come forward to speak at the world court to change the course of the timelines right now. It is a tremendous time to be alive with all these energies. What we can say is it draws ever closer 
the time where we will be boarding these cargo ships to take the trip to Dracos. It is about ending one cycle, another beginning. This cycle that's ending began with our wayward children who played like creator, god, goddesses and twisted the timelines and the DNA of the people without the approval of, let's say, the Galactic Federation or the forces of light. And it comes to conclusion now. Uh, the chips fall where they may. saying who, who's letting the chips fall as they may we are saying that when all is completed here in this realm we take our wayward children to Dracos Um, well, the question is about timing, Mother. A timing. lot of people are in absolute terrible places. Yes. There's a lot of people that are stealing a lot of things because they're in such a terrible place they can't provide for their families. Yes. And it's at the place where it's you or me, you know, in the sense of what's going on and I'm just saying that's not a good place to be in the world. And there are events unfolding we're not at liberty to speak of. Yet these Legion of Doom will be taking a ride. I know. Do we get a little bit of a timeline, dear? You can see it, feel it, taste it, touch it. I can see it, yes. In other words, you have to. I was tempted to play Steve Colbert tonight because he really nailed it in his little funny little soliloquy here. Yes. Yesterday. But we're going to play Abby Martin instead. It is about the ending of an ancient story about fallen angels and magic and uh, what folks on earth need to grok, so to speak, is that this 
whole passion play is about the magic of the most wonderful kind. This planet is ascending with her inhabitants like it or lump it. Mm-hmm. And the ones that want the lumps in their stew, so to speak, the time is up for the old patriarchy who consider ideas about control and slavery do not fit with the current Sakyuga. Time's up. We cannot give a date, yet it is in this moment. You're watching it unfold presently. Why do you think things are stretched so tight with the energies and Folks are looking over their shoulder this way and that way. And it is about the fact that we're here. We come in peace. We mean no harm to the people of Earth. Yet we come to remove our wayward children who have violated cosmic law, to put it in simple terms. Place the violent fire. Accountability, huh, Mother? How can there be closure without accountability? And to see your accuser look him in the eye. We bring it into focus. Our many life forms that chose to take a walk on the dark side and love them even more for what that path was. No one knows what that agreement is. That soul must deal with their own choices they made coming into this realm because we all made a conscious choice to show up here for the grand finale. Yeah, we did. Yes. All of us did. It completes itself now. Send more love. 
to the situations because they are precarious and glorious at best. Dusty mm-hmm. on our way. Okay, Mother. Until we meet again. Inshallah. Credits. In the light of the most radiant one. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Adonai, Sabayot. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Adonai, Sabayot. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Adonai, Sabayot. Iliahu, Iliahu, Iliahu. Whoops. Yore, Bohe, Yava, Adonai, Basu, Boradas. Okay, we wait for a bit for Mother to come back in her body. She'll be back. <laughs> oh, no. Greetings, Rama. Oh. Oh. Everybody's wanting to know where you've been. Mm. I've been on Lady Master Athena's ship in one of the sanctuaries. It's like this healing chamber with Pink and blue and gold light, and it's um, I could best describe it as like a a half spherical chamber that radiates these very light pastel colors and there are uh, I would call them they're like dragonflies that fly around in this chamber almost like fireflies that send these trails of light out from behind them and they create these geometric patterns in this chamber that as they land on you, the geometric patterns 
merge into your body and give you this rush of energy, like niacin, so to speak, where you get a real big rush. And it's just, um, it's about healing on all levels. I'm not sure why I was taken there, except that it's what I saw. But I am grateful. <laughs> hmm. I, I am grateful that uh, um, we chose to be here now, yes. as Ramdas would say. I agree. Uh, it hasn't always been fun. <laughs> or easy. No, well, they never told us it was going to be that. No. Yet, as we work together, it helps, helps, because we can help each other. It, oh. it does make a big difference when we send more love to these light forms that our love is absent from their consciousness. Mm -hmm. It's a big deal. Okay, so... Um, let's do this. Mm. I was thinking about that Steve Burns, that 15-minute piece. Um, I'm not sure we got time for it tonight, but <sighs> tomorrow it's okay. Mm. But let's, uh, this is called Live at the People's Forum. Katie Halper, Rania Kalik. Abby Martin, and Claudia de la Cruz. It's one hour, 51 minutes, and 30 seconds. <laughs> A special sold-out show in front of a live audience at the People's... Um, Forum in New York City, bringing together Katie Halper, Rania Kalik, Abby Martin, and Claudia de la Cruz, who will talk about Palestine, the presidential elections, and more. So, need I say much more? I mm. guess we'll just, um, let's see. The ticket sale proceeds go to the Gaza-based Palestinian organization. We are not numbers. In memory of its co-founder, assassinated Gazan professor, poet, and translator, Rafaat Alanir. Katie Halper is an award-winning writer, filmmaker, and the host of the Katie Halper Show podcast. YouTube show and radio show, and the co-host of the YouTube show and podcast, Useful Idiots. Oh, boy. She is the director of the forthcoming documentary, Commie Camp. Rania Kalik is a Middle East-based journalist for Breakthrough News, where she hosts the show Dispatches. 
She also co-hosts the weekly Freedom Side live stream with Eugene Pryor. Abby Martin is a journalist, the host and document uh, and creator of the Empire Files. Right. Director of Gaza Fights for Freedom and the forthcoming documentary, Earth's Greatest Enemy. Claudia de la Cruz is a Central Committee member of the Party for Socialism and Liberation. She is a popular educator, a community organizer, and a theologian. In 2018, she co-founded the People's Forum. Claudia has over 20 years of experience in organizing across sectors of struggle and building collective political education and cultural spaces in the United in the United States and internationally. So I guess with that we'll say an hour to fifty and fifty one minutes and thirty seconds. Let's get started. Okay. All right. Thank you, Mom. <laughs> What's up, guys? Hello, Hi, everyone. everyone. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much to the People's Forum for hosting us. Uh, thank you to, yeah, give them a yeah. Woo, we love the People's Forum. Yeah. Best space in New York. Yes. And thank you to Breakthrough News and the Empire Files and the Katie Halper Show for co-sponsoring this event. Um, so we're going to get this show started. I'm going to introduce uh, the lovely lady sitting next to me to the left, not politically, just physically. We have Abby Martin. But also also politically. No, but like, I'm not saying she's to the left of, oh, oh no, 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 Spoiler alert, I think on the left, yeah. Oopsies. So on the left, ultra leftist. equally. I haven't even had wine yet. I know. <laughs> equally on the left as us is Abby Martin, who is the host and producer of The Empire Files. She's also the director of the amazing documentary, Gaza Fights for Freedom. Thank you. Thank you so much. And the forthcoming documentary, Earth's Greatest, Greatest Enemy. Earth's Greatest Enemy. Okay, there you go. There you have it, which I can't wait to see. And then to my right, physically but not politically, yeah. is uh, Rania Kalik, who is the host of Dispatches. Dispatches with Breakthrough News with Eugene Purrier, and she is a journalist based in Beirut. Ooh, yay, Beirut! <laughs> and of course, the great Katie Halper, host of the Katie Halper Show, host of Useful Idiots, and the upcoming documentary, Commie Camp, which I can't wait to see. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for braving the snow to come out here yeah, in this packed seriously. house. We are truly honored to share this space with yeah. all of you. So I thought first I wanted to ask um, you, Rania, more than anyone else here. Uh, if let's you could, get serious. Yeah, um, let's get serious let's get for serious. a second. Like, we're going to be I'm joking ready. around, but we should Bring be serious. It, yeah. So before starting, of course, I need you to condemn Hamas. <laughs> 
Will you? Will each and every one of you condemn Hamas? All together. <laughs> we're not going to start condemn Hamas. Yeah, we're, we can't do the show we until can't each start, and every you guys. one of you. Yeah. Everyone has to. We have to go. It's the law. It might take two hours, yeah, but I mean, this is necessary. But we're fine. If, the, if that has to be it's what obligatory. the show is dedicated to, mm-hmm. that's okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, great. Yes. Yes. Media. Great answer. By the way, someone's phone is going off, which is fine, but it's a good reminder to shut your phones off, please. Um, that, sorry, that sounded very tasking. <laughs> um, so let's see. There's so much terrible news out there, right? I think we want to start off with something positive. Yeah, mm-hmm. So let's take a look at Yemen. Yeah. 
That was it. Done. It's an entire nation out there that is responsible. It's not true. This rhetoric about civilians not aware, not, aware, not involved, it's absolutely not true. Israel's not trying to wipe Gaza. They say it in English. In Hashmar, in Mazon, in Main, in Delik. הכל סגור. אנחנו נלחמים בחיות אדם, ואנחנו נוהגים בהתאם. אז זה לא תחזור להיות משהו. אנחנו נחסל את הכל. Gaza will become a place where no human being can exist. Invest this energy in one thing, erasing all of Gaza from the face of the earth. That's a Knesset member. The Gaza monsters will fly to the southern fence and try to enter Egyptian territory. They will die. Nuking Gaza is an option. Use doomsday weapons against Gaza. Very healthy society. Israel is trying to defend itself against a genocidal terrorist threat. So when we're going to start, if we're going to start using that word, fine, let's use it appropriately. All right, man. All right. How has yeah. no one thrown a shoe at him yet? I know. I'm, I not, know. A, I'm not advocating an entire, the an entire wardrobe wow. or more. Yeah. So what do you guys think? Let's vote. Uh, genocide or not genocide? <laughs> anyone in the room? Anyone in the room? Genocide? Okay. Yeah. All right. Two hands. Well, what's that's, crazy? That's, yeah, that's double vote. What's crazy is there's so many clips. You we would yeah, take literally like yeah. a week to watch them all. But I remember when Netanyahu said they love using telegenically dead kids. The more dead, the better. This was like, in 2018. This right? was yeah during the Great March of Return. And then Naftali Bennett said they're committing self genocide. So at least he admitted it, right? Naftali Bennett. They're just doing it to themselves. What you're talking about also added that in every house and not just Palestinian like Arab homes. Um, Lebanon and Palestine, they have a kitchen, a bedroom, and a rocket launching room. I didn't get one with my apartment. No one, I didn't get a rocket launching room. I'm kind of a... How can you uh, afford all that space? Like, don't you have a one bedroom? Yeah, no, I have, that's uh, more than one. Oh, okay. But so I you don't have, have a rocket launching. Yeah, but I you might as well invest come in with one. the house. Like, I have to yeah. make it myself. Yeah. yeah. Right. This must have been that's uh, pre-war. Pre-war house, yeah. Yeah, pre-October 7th. History began October 7th. Yeah. Well... We, again, want to be fair and balanced, and we let you hear from John Kirby, but then I think we just uh, debunked his claims. But someone else thinks that there isn't a genocide right now, and none, that, that man is the... He's, he's the epitomization of, like, progressivism, so it's a little awkward, you know? Like, he's, he's really hardcore yeah. progressive, yeah. so it's like, hmm. And we're talking about none other than, should have been Dr. Oz... Uh, John Fetterman of Pennsylvania. Let's take a look at what he has to say. Great, great crowd. I love it. It's a group of cowards. They hide in tunnels. They hide behind civilians. They attack, kill, and mutilate children, women, and they do that. Stop talking about proportion on that. They shot their best shot on October 7th. And they would have taken more lives if they couldn't do that, but they couldn't do it. And now let's also talk about that. Now we're talking about genocide. And now South Africa now is now bringing that kind of a, a trial. Maybe South Africa being able to sit this one out when they're talking about genocide. He's a horrible public speaker. Is it just me? So we're here in South. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. So <laughs> spoiler, a little teaser. Oopsies. Like, 
why should he says that as if like the government of South Africa right now just committed a genocide? He's like, a white he's a white farmer genocide guy. He's one of those guys. Yeah, yeah. the white yeah. farmer. The white farmer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously yeah. South Africa knows what apartheid is. So they have. Yeah, I think, it's true. I think John Fetterman knows. Yeah, what John Fetterman knows what it is because he like because he probably likes it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know who else should sit this one out? Because he was saying that South Africa should yeah. this one out, and I was just—it was—it reminded me of how Germany, oh yeah, was like, "Hey, we're gonna intervene legally uh, to help Israel in the genocide case." Well, they are genocide experts, so yeah, I'm torn because no. I feel like they're <laughs> actually really experienced when it comes to that. So. Also, it is all their fault. Like, yeah, that's true. I think Germany should have to carve out like a piece of land for a Jewish state. Yeah, me too. Like from, Ger- like they should have to, yeah. I mean, they, they started. Can we have Berlin though? I've heard Berlin's really cool. I've heard Berlin's really cool. Yeah. It's supposed to be very cool. Unless a lot of Israelis, they moved to Berlin. Oh, it is true, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A yeah. lot of Israelis moved to Berlin. Yeah. But no, seriously, the audacity of Germany, seriously. it's disgusting. This is all like the original sin you created. And what I loved so much is then Namibia. Namibia was like, excuse me? You're going to what? And they were like, the presidency in Namibia released a statement. And they were like, we don't think Germany should be allowed to speak on this, considering they've never apologized for the genocide they committed in Namibia, which was like the OG German genocide. Right. They don't get enough credit for that genocide. No, they don't. You know? Germany, like, Germany loves genocide. Like, we should expect nothing less because they've historically and consistently, well, West Germany. We should say yeah, West yeah. Germany if, like, we have our East Germans here at all yeah. and they're, like, upset. <laughs> safe space. This is safe space for East yeah, Germans. Yeah, safe space for East Germans. But, no, they've, like, historically always been on the side of genocide, so I guess we should expect nothing yeah. else. Yeah, they only want to atone for the white genocide, right? Yeah. Right. And yeah. It, it has been. It's erasure of the Namibia mm-hmm. genocide because yeah. the Jewish genocide has taken up the spotlight. So it's time to highlight the other one. Yeah. 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 Fair and balanced. Yeah. Again, as we but, said. honestly, yeah. how disgusting is John Fetterman? Yeah, bringing it back to the important thing. No, that's true. Yeah. If I see one more goddamn comment from that monster about the hostage posters, I wish I had volunteered for Dr. Oz. Seriously. (laughs) Makes me wish I had. He's a stroke survivor, isn't he? Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm just saying. When he first, everybody liked him because they were like, oh, he's a stroke survivor. Right, right. And he's like the working class and he's like so progressive. And I but was like, like, yeah, he ne- sounds cool. He, and then he was like, I love genocide. And I was like, never but mind. But he's also like a Nepo baby. He's like a rich kid. Oh. Like he like, he was like basically just became mayor or something randomly, like with no experience. And he experience. tries to overcompensate like, by wearing sloppy, By wearing sloppy just clothes. basketball shorts. Yeah. See, I thought. All right, Rama. I think we made an executive decision that we're, we're way gonna past this. We're going to pass on this, this one. We're going to pass on this one. Yeah. They aren't, they, they're not awake. No. And that's a very sad story. Yeah. I'm sorry to say that. Yeah. So, Rama wants to do something completely different. (laughs) Change the energies. (laughs) Yes, let's change the energies. So, we're going to go to Open Minds. E-M-F pollution of our immune system. This is with Regina Meredith. And it features Nicholas Pinault. P-I-N-E-A-U-L-T. As frontier science finds a direct link between increased autoimmune illness and exposure to electromagnetic frequencies. Q 
can the corporate will to maintain a wired world be curbed? Regina Meredith welcomes Nicholas Pinault, the EMF guy, to unpack electromagnetic frequency guy, to unpack a critical examination of the rollout of 5G technology during the recent pandemic. Pinault cites international investigation and legislation of telecommunications devices as a possible path for U.S. citizens to defend against potential heart and DNA damage caused by frequency bombardment. What shielding tools and proximity strategies can be used right now to reduce harm and protect us. Okay, so let's get this one started. This is 44 minutes. All right, let's do this one. I need some gentler voices. Oi, oi, oi. Yeah. Oh. Sorry, everybody. Peace for you guys. years ago, we lived in a world free from radio frequencies. No Wi-Fi, EMFs, no 5G. In fact, no processed foods for that matter. It was a world where people worked harder to keep life moving forward, but had the energy to do it. Meanwhile, one of the biggest complaints today is a feeling overwhelmed and tired, even with every convenience. Nicolas Pinot, the EMF guy, is here to tell us why that is. Welcome, Nicholas. It's the first time I've had you on this show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. And it's a very, very important topic that's affecting so many people. We were talking off camera a little bit. We'll get into some of that. But just starting with one of the hard facts in your notes that I was looking at, you say our exposure to radio frequency radiation has increased by one one quintillion fold after one quintillion. I don't even know how many zeros that is. We can we'll have to count it out in the last hundred years. So yeah. there it's, you go. It's crazy. A hundred years ago, we were not exposed. Four generations ago, you know, we were not exposed to all of these agents that is radio frequency radiation. We're talking about Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, smart meters, cell towers, cell phones, and now we're getting into more and more different smart things that people have glued to their body, but also smart things in their homes. So it's really the multiplication of the different sources of radio frequency. And just one generation ago, my generation, I'm 36, we didn't have Wi-Fi when I was young. Mm-mm. We we got it, I was in my teenage years. So my son, who's five, is the first generation that are exposed to this radiation cradle to grave. And that's a big concern. Big concern. Now you're from Montreal, a little bit of a French accent there. Are you living in a high density area or do you? Yeah, I am. Yeah, so we're going to get into all that. That can be a little harder to control. For sure. But first of all, what I want to do is get into the history as we as humans, what happened when electricity was first introduced to the human species? Some of the effects, 
I mean, there was some politics around it, knocking down people's windmills, doing deals with the energy company. It was kind of scummy business, actually. So let's talk about the first electrification of planet Earth. For sure. You know, scientists and kind of amateurs and circus people started playing with static shocks at the end of the 1700s. In Arthur Fersenberg's book, uh, The Invisible Rainbow, he talks about the fact that some people receiving static shocks, we're talking about very low level electricity there, some people were starting to get effects that were negative. They were, uh, they felt that their nervous system couldn't handle even static shocks, and that's not a lot of electricity. So even in those early days, you had some hints of people that were more electrosensitive than others, and that continued through the electrification of the world. And also. you know, the, I think it was still in the 1700s when I read his book a few years ago. I remember this one. This just came up. Sorry. Um, they had a kissing machine that was a, <laughs> kind of a parlor thing among the wealthy where yes. you had the person who was going to be the kisser hooked up to electricity. And then a person could come and kiss them and get this electric shock. It was a risque party game of the day. Exactly. <laughs> so silly. OK, so now we move past the 1700s. All right. And we move into the actual mass electrification. For sure. We started with the telegram and then eventually it was the introduction of the radio and TV and radio doesn't just appear in the air. A lot of people don't think about the fact they open the the little knob in their car and there's radio. Well, that's because the waves are being blasted everywhere all the time. And the fact that it's being blasted everywhere on the time doesn't make it safe. It just means that it's there and that has it been contributing to all of these new chronic diseases we're seeing? Right. Archer Fersenberg says yes. And many, many, we're talking about hundreds of EMF scientists in the world say we have a big problem on our hands because now we've moved from these radio waves and TV waves to now cell phone towers. And that was at the the end of the 1980s, where cell phones were not very popular. It was for rich people with huge Nokia bricks in their car. And it wasn't that much of a problem yet, but now oh, we've we... way up leveled the problem now. Exactly. Now we're in trouble. I exactly. mean, like, the species is in trouble if we can't learn how to modulate and manage this, even though we're very adaptable as a being, as beings, we can adapt to a certain extent, but we're not adapting fast enough. That's for sure. For sure. Let's go back a little bit. Let's go back to the time when people started getting electricity in their homes, where they could have electrical light bulbs, where they could ultimately even have refrigerators and such. And and Fersenberg brought up what happened when the Spanish flu occurred and, and electrification at roughly the same time. This You can talk about the theory and what you think about that. Well, the theory is that each time we start rolling out new electric technologies, a segment of the population starts getting sick. And some of it is blamed on other things. So he says with the Spanish flu, there's been the rollout of certain uh, man-made technologies that emit radio waves. Uh, some of it was radar and also uh, some of it was uh, throughout the, the different decades we had satellites going up. The military was very much affected. And the, the military, in the military. For sure. So we have military research that shows that some military personnel, after a few years of exposure to radar, start getting sick. So there are good reasons to think that if you're too close to sources, and now that's the reality for most people that are too close to these towers, 
you get sick over time, not necessarily just in one day, but over many years working near in, in these uh, submarines or uh, on different uh, airplanes, they were exposed to the equipment and these people, part of them, start getting sick. Uh, they report uh, that they cannot sleep anymore. They report that they have headaches. And what they report also, I'm getting sick all the time ah. because it impairs your ability to have a healthy immune system. You know, on that note, I'm going to tell a little anecdote because it's relevant. So in the 1980s, I was a news anchor. We didn't have all the cell phone technology at that time and such. But I was on the top of our newsroom was a massive satellite dish. I got sicker and sicker to the point where I could hold, the, I could hardly get through. I was so exhausted when, on the weekends. I did the nighttime news anchor. And um, on the weekends, I really couldn't recover anymore. And it got to the point where I could hardly lift my arms up anymore to even like blow dry my hair and put makeup on before I went to work. And I had to peak at the end of the day. A friend of mine, I ended up ultimately having what was either we thought chronic fatigue syndrome, right? And Epstein-Barr, in my blood, that's what shows up. My friend, a news anchor, sitting under her satellite dish at the same time, had the exact same array of symptoms. And the dish was right on top of our building. No one was talking about EMS. So what would you imagine would be happening sitting under a satellite dish all day, every day? Well, we have case studies from the last two years telling you what's going to happen if you have a 5G tower installed right next to your apartment. Part of these case studies were published by Dr. Leonard Hardell. He's the first one who dared say that Agent Orange was a carcinogen. Yes. So he's a hero right. in epidemiology and toxicology. And now he says that people who get a cell phone tower installed on their apartment, and these case studies have been published in scientific literature, where these people within a few months start deteriorating. Their yeah. health goes down. Yeah. Exactly what you've described. Oh, I have chronic fatigue. I cannot digest anymore. Yeah, I have We headaches. started with horrible digestive issues there that go. remained with us. I mean, it seemed to damage us almost on a cellular or DNA level. And what's important is this, in these case studies, when they get out of this environment, they start getting better. Mm -hmm. So right, right there, you have a causative agent that is making people sick, not initially in one week, but when it's that close to your home, it can be pretty fast for some people and their health yeah. starts going down. Well, that makes sense. I mean, if you go camping, suddenly you just feel like you were born again and you have energy after a couple of days. In our case of this other friend that's a news anchor, and I, um, all the introduction of the more saturated technology started coming in even after we left the newsroom. And it never, a lot of those symptoms didn't fully go away Yeah. after the, that original mass exposure. So, I mean, we have to realize some of these do have long-term effects you have to wind your way out of. For so, sure. And so b before we get into what starts happening after we had the radio, television, radio, um, and so forth, Let's let's talk about what's happening to children who are still in their formative years. What's happening to the development of a child's brain, even in utero? What's hap what what studies are out there? What is happening to our children if we live in an EMF rich environment? It starts with pregnant moms. Yeah, their exposure when it's higher, they have more risks of miscarriage. 
So it looks like it is disrupting the normal processes that should be happening normally behind the scenes when you're pregnant. It's not like you're always thinking about what's happening to your fetus. Everything is supposed to just be in the right place and starts developing normally. We know that in animal models, it will disrupt uh, the birth weight of children, mm -hmm. it will disrupt uh, their health. Uh, and also in rats, uh, in rat and mice studies, we saw very well that if pregnant rats were exposed by radio frequency at a much higher level, then their offspring, their children would have bigger risks of developing food allergies or ADD, ADHD symptoms. But in the last decade, we also have large epidemiology studies in humans that show the same thing. Oh yeah, huge rise of ADHD in the last two decades in particular, since we've all been carrying cell phones and have our home computers, et cetera. So, so, yeah, the message from Yale scientists, you Taylor, for example, very mainstream universities, they say, stop putting that phone near your pregnant abdomen. They say that the data is very clear and that this is a dangerous game that we're playing, increasing our exposure in the womb and also to small children. The same risks also apply. So that's very concerning to me with a five year old. Absolutely. Me as well. So now let's go to what we were talking about a moment ago. During when the Spanish flu came about, a lot of the people that were really severely affected were these radar operators, according to his work, right? Okay, so now let's move forward a little bit. So by 2017, it was stated that a third of the population now has electrosensitivity, right? By 2017. Okay, now let's advance that a couple of years and we get a pandemic. So everybody's sitting home alone on their devices more than ever, while we got a spike protein in our bodies that we're being exposed to, a virus, what do you make of how that confluence of events, what do you make of what it could have done to humanity at large? For sure, it's not helping. We, we don't have the data to say, some people have advanced things like, well, the 5G rollout created those symptoms. For sure, electrosensitivity is on the rise, and for sure, and there's good papers on the topic, even though it was nearly impossible to publish on that link. Right. There are good papers on the topic by Dr. Beverly Rubik, who coined the term human biofield. She's a, a prominent frontier scientist. And she said that there are multiple reasons to think that our immune systems are greatly impaired when we are under EMF exposure. Guess what happened when people were home EMF exposure was tremendously higher than previously. That's yes. for sure. Yeah, so I think that people did the opposite of what they should have done. Instead of going outside and lowering exposure, be in nature, be relaxed, they stayed inside and blasted themselves with EMFs almost all day, every day, which is crazy to me. It, yeah, it was It was a crazy time and it was a crazy reaction, but people didn't know what else to do because they were forced apart. Yeah. They couldn't go to public venues and so forth. This was a really negative impact of that. Mm -hmm. So, okay, I want to ask about something else. A lot of things happen regarding the heart. <laughs> the heart's electrical in nature. A lot of things happened during that pandemic period. People's hearts were really damaged on a lot of levels. Uh, fear, not being able to be with each other, and also being in this saturated EMF environment. At the same time, the cities were seriously beginning to roll out 5G. I mean, you couldn't make a 
better scenario for poor health and the confluence of these events and lowered immune system as a species. So now we talked about that for just a moment. Let's go to the heart itself. What Have there been any studies of what all of these frequencies are doing to our hearts? Well, I'm aware of two different holistic cardiologists who told me they have some patients come into the clinic. Doctor, there's something wrong with my heart. They have a phone right there in their shirt pocket. Oh. They remove the phone, tell the patient to go home, and it's fixed. So for some people, it seems to be a direct impact to the rhythm of their heart is disrupting it, which is not that complicated to understand. The heart has a rhythm that is set by yeah. electrical pulses. Exactly. So if you have something else electrical, there might be an interference. And guess what happened is that now with cell phones, there are warnings for users of pacemakers to the effect that if you put it too close to the pacemaker, it might be disruptive to the pacemaker. And they even said it could be life-threatening, but not to a, to a human heart. That's that's the that's very interesting. Very interesting. They're both electrical signals. <laughs> right, exactly. They're not gonna go that far because there's too much politically and monetarily at stake there. You yeah. know, they'd probably be censored and stripped of their titles, etc. Yeah, but years ago, Dr. Martin Paul, who's a professor emeritus at the Washington State University, said that according to his analysis of what EMFs do to our cells, it is especially dangerous to the heart because of how it can damage certain specific cells in the heart that are responsible for the rhythm. So he said that according to him, EMFs can directly impact your your risks of heart failure, but I haven't seen any cardiologists kind of pick up this idea, but these studies um, need to be done for sure. Well, it's just pure logic. Why wouldn't there already be a thousand studies on its effect on the heart, except for the political reasons we for just sure. mentioned a moment ago? What about DNA? What about, what is it doing to our DNA and Again, the developing DNA of a fetus and young people. Well, we have good reasons to think that cell phones and all of this radio frequency damages DNA and also hinders DNA repair. And that's because it, it, it will increase oxidative damage. These oxidative uh, species like reactive oxygen species are basically increased in a level that is overwhelming to the organism. So normally we have certain antioxidants that are created in our body that can take care of those, but we are already exposed to the sun and certain things in our food and so many sources of oxidative damage that sometimes you add phones or Bluetooth or Wi-Fi in the mix and it looks like it becomes overwhelming to the system. So this is when you have DNA breakage. And we saw that in the rat studies. We saw that in vitro models where you just have cells and you expose it to cell phone radiation. There, there were major studies that proved without the shadow of a doubt that we can have some sort of DNA damage from this technology, but you know these studies are not even mentioned by regulators no. when they set standards. So there's a lot of, um, and maybe you want to address this now or later, but there's a strong corporate will to keep things as is, to well, keep yeah. the EMF limits high and never look at the health impacts. Well, We'll go there in like just one second. I'm wondering, because you brought this up, about telomeres, the telomeres on our cells and the health and the length of cellular life. These delicate little hair-like 
extensions from the cells um, that take in electricity and information and determine the length of the cell life. Those have to be affected by this. I haven't seen anything specific on telomere length, and but many EMF scientists are starting to talk about EMF exposure as something that is an aging impact. Well, that would be telomeres. Exactly. Yeah. So you're going to age faster in a high EMF environment. In fact, one scientist, Dr. Magda Havis from Canada, said, uh, instead of calling it electrosensitivity, I prefer calling it the rapid aging syndrome. There you go. That answers that question because the the um, premature breakage of telomeres is our aging. Our cells, our cells age. Exactly. They die, we age. So yeah. even if they haven't called it that, Stuart Hammeroff is kind of the guy on that. It'd be interesting to see he if he's done any work on it. So let's go back to what you're talking about. Why would all these companies want to have high levels of EMF production? It's business as usual. Uh, business is good, and the lobbying power of the telecom industry surpasses big pharma. At the moment. So people think that, oh, there's corruption with pharma or big food influencing regulators. Well, the same thing is happening, but even more exponentially with the FCC and regulators around the world, where the regulators are completely captured by industry. In fact, one of the, the heads of the FCC, the Federal Communication Commission in the US, uh, basically was sworn in as the director and he, he said, I'm going to destroy the FCC from the inside out. And he did. And now the FCC is not looking at health impacts. They're just essentially uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. that I had yes. the, the chance to interview told me they are a sock puppet for the industry. They don't do anything regarding health. And what we need to do is to, to clean up the house because things are stalling on many levels because the industry is in control of the funding of what's going to be of done. The lack of the regulation, i.e. lack of all regulation. Exactly. Exactly. That, that's just, it's real. it's criminal. It's unethical. It's lacking compassion for humanity. There's nothing I can say about this other than that it's all bad. So now let's talk about um, in some countries, they've taken it a little bit more seriously than the U.S. Yes. has. We're all in on the corporate level. Um, and not warning our citizens of what's, except for people like you, you know, or of what's at stake here. So let's talk about phone gate. Yes. Yeah, so phone gate happened when uh, a French doctor found out that the French government had tested hundreds of different cell phones with zero millimeters of separation from the body. This is how we use phones, right? It touches our face. It touches our, uh, Wherever our, our pockets are our pockets. Exactly. So it's very close to the body, except manufacturers normally test it five to 25 millimeters from the body. I don't know why exactly, but Tell there Americans are Americans how far 25 millimeters is. Well, we we think in inches. Oh well, I mean it's it's very small, but still that degree it's of separation. It's not on your body. It's not on yeah. your body, and people don't realize. But if you go close one millimeter closer, you might greatly ex uh, increase how much radiation that is. So what this French doctor found out is that essentially ninety percent of all phones sold in France in two thousand eighteen were not compliant. They were over the safety limit, and to this day, this is still happening. And there there are good reasons to think that it's the vast majority of phones around the world go over the safety limit, sometimes by many fold. And this led to the iPhone twelve, for example, in France, they had to lower the radiation level that is emitted by this 
particular phone and why the 12? I don't know why the 12. They need to do that with the 13, 14, 15 and everything else. So it's just another trick by the industry where they were able to game the system to expose users as much as possible because they keep saying two things. They keep saying, well, users want faster phones, so we're going to do it. More radiation is good. And they also say there's no health effect whatsoever. And that's That's the biggest lie. lie, Completely. They're just lying to the public. For sure. And I mean, there should be, there should be huge types of penalties for lying to the public in that way and deceiving us on such an important issue, of course. Mm-hmm. And a lot of music, excuse you guys want to look at you, you guys love gaming. 5G is like the ideal platform for gaming, fast, fast, speed, speed. And they use gaming as a primary issue of why we're demanding that we have this kind of technology all around us. Yeah, but that's an illusion Yeah, uh, that we need faster speeds and faster Wi-Fi. You know what's fast? A wire. <laughs> a <laughs> <An> wire. Ethernet. <laughs> yeah, Ethernet wire. It's it's thousands to millions of yes. times faster than Wi-Fi because instead of sending a signal through the air that has a resistance to it, you're sending it through a fiber optic, a glass yes. cable. So the more the most efficient way to have gaming and all sorts of things in society that are currently wireless is to have them wired. So we could yeah. But then you don't have your in your pocket when you're like waiting in line or on an airplane or something. No, That's for sure. The but convenience. It, it's always that it comes down to this convenience yes. and medi- needing immediate gratification. The species is. That's correct. That's what we've been. The doing. point is, many things that are wireless at the moment could be wired. Yeah. And then it would lower the level. So again, that's just. But the industry is pushing more wireless, 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 and say, you know, cut the cords. We don't want any cords. But again, you know, people who uh, listen to Gaia don't go to McDonald's, generally speaking, because they know that convenience can hurt them. Yes. The same thing is true for going all wireless. It is convenience, but it comes with a cost. And you just brought up something a minute ago that, you know, stands out to me like a sore thumb. Apple was forced to reduce the radiation from the iPhone 12. That means Apple can reduce the radiation on every model of phone if they wish. And so can, you know, Samsung and all the other companies. They can. Uh, In fact, an engineer who's a a PhD, James C. Lynn, I heard him in a presentation last year. He said that phones emit levels that are likely, you know, tens of times too high compared to what they need to connect to the antenna. So in other words, if we lowered the power of your phone by fivefold, maybe it would still be the same. Mm -hmm. But why phone manufacturers don't do that and they don't do the same with their towers that are way too strong for what they need, the reason they don't do it is because other competitors don't do it. So it's it's kind of a waiting and perception. You're going to get better, faster service from this guy who's not lowering that output, that radiation. And they're not following the what's called the Alara principle in nuclear radiation is very clear that you want to be exposed to as little as humanly possible. Alara is as low as reasonably achievable. Mm -hmm. So if you have a cell phone tower and in in order to make it work, you can lower the level a hundredfold. You have to do it under that that principle. It's not being done at the moment is anything goes. And as much as humanly possible is really what the industry is following right now. 
So we're going to get to this in a minute. We've got to take back our own power, literally here. This is very, very important. People pay close attention to this and take back their own power. So looking at 5G going up everywhere without people's understanding or even permission, most people don't even know they've just raised a new 5G tower right near them. And then from the 5G tower, they pay people to use rooftops, church tops, and so forth to rent that space to put the little relay antennas because it has a fairly short signal hopping from one to the next, but very powerful and potentially very damaging to us as human beings. And so there has to be a way to start waking up. Some small cities have actually come together and stopped it. Can you tell us just a little bit about a couple places who have managed to keep 5G out of their neighborhoods? Yes, there's a few cities in the U.S. that were able to do that. But I would say when it comes to cell, cell phone tower placement, India is one of the leaders of, of all the countries. In uh, 2012, uh, more than 10 years ago, they started dismantling cell towers that were too close to schools, playgrounds, Excellent. hospitals, and they put in laws that are stricter. I don't know. To, still, the telecoms are fighting to overrule this. So it's a big fight out there. The, the telecoms would love every roof, rooftop to have an antenna because it's it's what makes their business great. But we have to stop this and put the cell phone towers away from people because for sure distance is uh, a, a very big factor when it comes to harm yes. or lack of harm. And for one thing that is crazy, and you're going to laugh about this one, cows in France, cow farmers want a lawsuit over the placement of a cell tower because you can quantify how much milk the cows um, uh, get out. So the dairy farmers said, well, my yield was 30% lower since you installed this big tower in the middle so of my field. Tell us about mothers and their babies. Well, exactly. So what ended up happening is that the judges saw, well, there's causality here. You install a tower, the cows have less milk, and the dairy farmer is going under. He's losing his business, and they were forced to move away the, the tower. And the ironic thing is that if you do that with humans and you say, well, you install the tower, and now my health suffers, it's not as easy. No, no, it's not. I mean, really, for the those people out there who are extroverts and born activists, everyone is born with a purpose in this time. And a lot of people were born to activate and take action on things that are no longer working for this planet. And I'm saying mm-hmm. that because some of the people watching us are native activists. Some of their kids are growing into activists. And I personally believe This is one of the most important issues so we can get our immune sovereignty and our mental and emotional sovereignty back to stop the bombardment of these frequencies of the human species. So calling all activists out there. Another anecdote, a friend of mine was um, sleeping across from a bank. She lived in a densely populated apartment building. She had a bank of um, smart meters just across the wall from her head, sensitive person. She was nearly dead when this all happened. When it it came to my attention, I hadn't seen her in a while. Mutual friend, she couldn't, she could barely speak. She wasn't getting out of bed. She had no appetite. That's when I found out, and we're going to talk about a number of these. There are ways to deal with this. All of them are new in development the last decade or so, but the one called FLFE, which I found out about and actually started telling people about because of her. I heard about it. Without her knowledge, I had this technology focused on her apartment within 30 days, and I had a mutual friend talk to her. And 
her mind started coming back. She could complete sentences. She started getting a little more energy. Then she started walking. Then she's at the end of 30 days, she was normal. Her mind was back and she was moving furniture. That was the only change. Now, that particular company, FLFE, has scientific studies done on it at a university. So, and a lot, thousands of anecdotal. So, we know that works and it works on a space. It identifies an address and it changes the energy in the space to knock down those frequencies. But you know of other types of technologies too that people can use. And I want you to share them because we have to do everything we can to protect ourselves. For sure. There, there's many different types of tools that we can use to minimize EMF exposure. The first thing that I'll say is that if you have a phone and the phone is off, that's a tool. Mm-hmm. Lowering the number of sources we are exposed to. And we still need to do that regardless of anything else. Um, one of it is distance having a distance from your phone, right? We talked about the zero millimeter distance and um, there are so many issues related to that. So creating distance from those machines. Also using these subtle energy devices, many people report feeling better. So I think it's making us more resilient to all of these unavoidable exposures in the environment. So why not? Even even doctors reminded me in this year, I've been interviewing a lot of doctors that treat electrosensitives. Many patients report feeling better using certain devices. Right. Uh, it might be FLFE, it might be uh, something else called uh, called biogeometry right. uh, by Dr. Ibrahim Karim yes. from yes, Egypt. Uh, is very prominent, but at the same time, some people use biogeometry, still bothered by a phone. So that makes that that tells me yeah. that maybe it's not uh, a one size fits all. So I have, have to, to try them. We have, we have to, to try different approaches. Correct. Mm-hmm. There are also uh, physically blocking technologies that we yes. can use. For example, Shield Your Body is a good company. They do um, uh, certain types of cases that will deflect the radiation away from the body, which is very convenient to especially people that want to use a sort of belt hoister for their phone. Um, and there are different technologies like this that are recommended. Would just block the signal. That would block the signal, uh, deflect it away. They're not perfect solutions but they are useful when they are used correctly. And so most of it is really, I mean, we, I just talked about the fact that there are many people watching this who are activists and can start taking on their towns and saying, wait a minute, hold on, and can go to the church who's earning however much money they would earn a month by putting one of those antenna on top. And mm-hmm. churches are always like a lot of, you know, NGOs, a, a lot of different charitable organization headquarters, they're always short on funds. And those are targets for that industry, Right. So to start educating them, this is what you're doing to your people, you know, to the people that work here and congregate here. So education and so forth. But what we're talking about just a moment ago, these are activist things we can do for ourselves. We can bring these in. And you told me off camera, what was it? That the average, on average, the average household now has how many devices? 23 different wireless devices. However, one of my colleagues does surveys. He goes to big big homes and with EMF meters, and sometimes he finds 150. In smart homes, you have the thermostats, you have the security systems, the toaster, everything is connected. These homes are literally sick. And people call my my colleague, his, his name is Brian from Shielded Healing. He goes there because people sometimes are in dire need. They say, Brian, you know, I have this big home in Beverly Hills or in LA, it's pretty bad. I mean, a lot of yeah. people are into smart things and smart really means 
EMF. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, you know, a hidden it term right sick. there. It means sick. It means sick. Yeah. So when Brian is done with them, they have wired these technologies. They they also have safe spaces, shielded bedroom, for example, where you have you can have a completely enclosed bedroom. You don't even um, have any exposure from outside cell phone towers. It's like towers. a safe house. It, pretty much. <laughs> you have to create your own safe house. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's part of the most advanced strategies, but yeah. it's something that works. Worth considering, especially where you're sleeping. Yeah. Where your kids are sleeping. And so what you now you live in Montreal. It's a densely how's the 5G situation up there? There's some 5G in downtown areas, uh, but personally I'm just as concerned about 4G. Okay. That's All right. reality. Let's talk about yeah. The reality is 5G, the way it's been um, explained on the Internet, and a lot of people said, you know, 5G is so bad. It's so bad. It is bad. However, many towers have 3G, 4G, LTE, 5G antennas yes. on it. What is the most dangerous kind of EMF? A lot of people ask me this question. We don't know. And and the thing is, if we are so focused on 5G and maybe people uh, watching this at home, they say, oh, I don't have 5G in my town. I'm safe. Are you safe? No, no because no. all the other technologies previously were yeah. just as unsafe. So that's something I have to say. In Montreal, I'm exposed to much more 4G and LTE. It's not good. It's not. And 5G is just, just adding more insult to the, the just insult over here. Frequency just length. a different frequency. Mm-hmm. And there are good reasons to think that 5G is even more dangerous right. per unit of radiation compared to previous technologies. But we need to think about Wi-Fi. We need to think about Bluetooth. All of these exposures are cumulative. That's the thing. I'm not concerned about one person being exposed to one Bluetooth thing over five minutes. That's not the point. Not even one phone call or one day of exposure. It's over the lifetime. But people are starting to lose their resilience to this technology. And it will lower your antioxidant levels. It will increase your oxidative stress levels. And then eventually for some people, it puts them over the edge, just like your friend. Yes. And fertility rates testosterone levels, the hormonal system, hormonal system. What have you under, what have you come to understand through all these studies? Well, many, many scientists say that it's been crystal, crystal clear for years. Uh, researchers from the Cleveland Clinic, I often cite these mainstream universities because some people seem to think this is a fringe topic with fringe scientists that are not even published in peer-reviewed uh, yeah. publications. This is a lie. Right. This is a complete fabrication. But the industry continues to push this idea that, you know, oh, just a few handful of fringe scientists. No, no. Very mainstream scientists um, that the researchers at the Cleveland Clinic in their brochures in 2010, I could go as, as back as 2010, they were saying that we should preventatively not have a phone in the pocket if you want to if we want to conceive and reproduce. Why is that? Because they did the rat studies, they did the human studies, they found that if you keep a phone in the pocket, you're going to have a reduction in fertility. You also have a reduction in testosterone. So the men out there that say, well, I don't want any kids any, anymore. No so problem. Keep your no, phone in your pocket. Yeah, exactly. But there are potential. But if I tell them, well, your testosterone is going to be hurt. Oops. Yeah. Right. So yeah. The, a lot of people think about plastics, BPA, yeah. um, BPB, yeah. and they say, oh, this is an endocrine disruptor. We hear this word. It means hormonal disruption, endocrine. Uh, the same thing can be said from radio frequency. 
So it's all around us. But if it's in the pocket, you're going to have a disruption there. We also have good reasons to think that if we talk on the phone, you have endocrine disruption to the thyroid gland. And for some people, if they get in a cleaner environment, they start having a thyroid that works better. So it, it is just disruption to disruption. any body part that you want to name, <laughs> right? Okay, so our reproduct- reproductive systems, our immune system. But I, in fact, I, I interviewed um, a fellow named Lee Harris. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he channels a group called Disease, which have turned out to be pretty accurate on a lot of things. So that's why we keep having him back. Wonderful. And I asked them about uh, EMFs and they said, oh, well, this particular technology is shrinking the human brain and some of the organs, too. And I thought, what? (laughs) So anyway, we continued that discussion a bit. But I thought, okay, we need to take this real that coming from that source, even we need to take this very, very seriously. So for you, how do you live? You live in Montreal. You have a little five year old. What do you do? When my wife was pregnant, I brought her the idea that uh, I, I knew it wasn't it, it would not be well received. I said, Jan, maybe we should stop having Wi-Fi altogether, cut down the Wi-Fi in the router and just have cables running down the corridor. And eventually she was she she said, yeah, well, you know, I'm pregnant with a kid and that's a new feeling for her. It's, right. it's something very precious, very fragile. Right. Right. So the research on fetuses is not looking good where it it might impair the brain development, the exactly. normal embryo, and, and then also miscarriage rates go up when you're exposed. So she saw all of it and she helped me also publish my book. So she was aware of the research. Mm-hmm. And since then, we live without Wi-Fi. Sometimes I use my phone and it's connected to the antenna, but in the home, we don't have Wi-Fi. And the difference is this. If you have good Wi-Fi coverage in every room in your home, what is another word for coverage? EMF pollution. Yes. You're bringing it to every room. And yes, your neighbors have a Wi-Fi router, but think about your own stuff first because your own Wi-Fi router is oftentimes the one that is closest to your body. And my son, when he was very little and just crawling around, would have been right next to the router in Mm -hmm. our living room. I couldn't live with that idea. So I have cables and I use my phone with a cable. I use my computer with a cable. Same thing with my wife. And we don't have anything else wireless really. Um, So I barely use my phone. When I use it, I'm uh, at a distance. And I don't have Wi-Fi on my computer. I don't use Bluetooth anything. I took my Bluetooth keyboard. I sold it to somewhere, so someone else. And uh, the Bluetooth, uh, everything. I used to have Bluetooth. You know, so I'm I'm human too. Before getting into EMFs uh, seven to eight years ago, I had everything Bluetooth. I was excited. I had the router right next to my computer. Didn't really realize these dangers. But once I knew better, I had to do better. So I started cleaning up my home and now it feels like a much healthier place to to live in. And then it's our habits. I mean, we wake up in the morning, people go and get their little laptop in bed, have a cup of tea and get on their cell phones and check into their emails and all the news for the day. So we start with the pollution just for our own emotional needs in the morning. And for people listening to you, you're like, oh, no, 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 no. But if you just hardwire your computer, you can still have at least a lot of that need met. For sure. So there you go. And, and just think about where you're spending a lot of time. Yeah. That's the thing. If you're, some people tell me for things that are uh, completely, seem almost funny to me, but they say, Nick, I have this Bluetooth toaster, right? There's the Bluetooth sign. Should I change it? 
And I say, well, how much time do you spend in front of your toaster? <laughs> right? Five minutes, two minutes, four minutes. It depends if you want your toast light or very dark, right? Yeah. So it's almost irrelevant in right. the sense that you're not spending a lot of time there. So just fo start focusing how much time are you spending near your phone? Yeah. How much time are you spending in front of a computer? And for most people in this day and age, it's a lot of hours per week. So if you can mitigate your computer, mitigate your phone, you're getting to a point where you are starting to lower that load. Yes. It's not avoiding altogether, doesn't exist. It's right. like talking about toxins, right? Right. Okay, start avoiding all toxins. Well, okay, I'm gonna go to Mars, right? It doesn't work on planet Earth. No. We are being bombarded, it is polluted. But if you start reducing exposure, what many people realize, my resilience is going up. Yeah. My sleep is Energy better. Energy levels. Energy levels, hormones. bouncing back. So in reality, you have to find the point where you lower EMFs enough that you feel good about your exposures and you feel good about your health. If you're not happy about your health currently and you realize that when you go camping, you feel like a much different person, there's some work to do because your environment is sick at the moment. That's our metric. Go camping for a couple of days and see how you do. And then you come back and make the adjustments. Exactly. We can all be activists in our own lives. And this isn't crying wolf. This is a very serious problem that's getting more serious, literally by the day, week, month, and year. So Nick, thank you. Nicholas, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today and flying in from Canada. And uh, I think that your message has probably been very well heard by our audience today. Thanks thank so much. You. To follow Nicholas's work, you can go to theemfguy.com. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds. Okay, we're going to go to something else now. Um, um, Mysteries of the Knights Templar, Gnostic Influence. Does proof exist of Templar roots in the practice of Gnostic religion and philosophy? Templar hosts Tem Timothy Hogan and Scott Walter. Oh, yeah. Present examples spanning faiths and continents of the secret orders foundational belief in gnosis divine spiritual knowledge from plato's cave of shadows to the rise of lazarus and the abraxas wax seal discover why the knights why the knights were used, no, were said by some mystics to be more Christian than the Christians of Rome. Yikes. How did the Templar hallmark of honoring the sacred flame in all of us spread Gnostic influence? And why did the order's metaphysical interpretation of Christian of excuse me Christos consciousness spark Catholic backlash question mark you sure we didn't listen to this already 
I don't think so. Uh, we probably need to listen again. All right, uh, let's just do this. It's 25 minutes. Here we go. made the Templars' spiritual practices unique when compared to other practices of the time. I'm Scott Walter. I'm a forensic geologist and a Knights Templar. And I'm Timothy Hogan, Grand Master of the Knights Templar. And this is Mysteries of the Knights Templar. Templar founders originated from Gnostic families. Whenever I think about the true founding of the Templar order, I always go back to Bernard. In 1113, he joined the Cistercian order with 30 family members. They all came together, including two of his uncles who were part of the original nine knights that founded the Templar order in Jerusalem, which would be only a few years later. Now. Obviously, there's something going on here. In my mind, I look at this as a deliberate event. This was intentional. 30 family members, that's not a coincidence. What this sounds like to me is the beginning of a coup d'etat. Yeah, Bernard was also responsible for, uh, he had sent by the church to, to go down and investigate a group of Gnostics in Southern France, known as the Albigensians, also known as the Cathars, another name for them. These were the Gnostic families that the Templars came out of. His mission was he was supposed to go down and condemn them, but he actually came back and praised their way of life, saying that they were even more Christian than the Christians of Rome. Right, right. So isn't there a very famous saying that goes back to the Albigensian crusade when the uh, the church mounted a crusade against the Cathars and these Albigensian families. And interestingly enough, this happened around 1204, I believe, to 1244, not long, too many years after Bernard died, right? And there were a groups of knights that were sent down there by the church, not the Knights Templar, by the way, but there's an old story that goes that one knight uh, said to another knight when they were about to raid one of these Cathar families and kill them all, and he'll say, he basically said, how do we know the good Christians from the bad Christians? And the other night said, kill them all and let God sort it out. Yeah, it was a brutal crusade. It was actually one of the first crusades of Europe and it was against other Christians. And it's important to note that the defender of the Cathar families, of the Albigensian families, a man by the name of Lord Raymond, he was actually taken into hiding by the Templar order. And after he died, he was buried on Templar properties, actually in the Templar Preceptory in Toulouse, because he was denied burial in Holy Land amongst the Roman Catholics of the time. So this Albigensian crusade was Christians against Christians. What was it that the church was upset about? 
Why did they kill these people? What were they practicing that was perceived as a threat? Well, there was a number of things going on. One was Toulouse was bigger than Paris at the time. Mm. So this was prime real estate. But the people that were practicing in this area of southern France, their form of Christianity, which was a Gnostic Christianity, was different than what was being practiced other places in the world. Okay. In fact, the word Gnosticism, or when I refer to a Gnostic family, really comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means divine experiential knowledge. And it was the belief that anybody, through their own efforts, could attune with the greater God consciousness, uh, sometimes referred to as the Christos, the collective consciousness. Uh, the word gnosis would be equivalent in the Eastern traditions to enlightenment, or even nirvana, but it was a state of experiential knowledge in which the individual, through their own efforts, attained this illumination. Okay, now we're getting to the, to the meat of the matter, really to the core of the issue. And basically what you're saying is to achieve a connection with deity, whoever and whatever you call it, uh, that was something in their version of Christianity, this um, achievement or uh, striving to achieve Christos, right, or this spiritual enlightenment, they could do all by themselves, whereas the Roman church required a human conduit. Now, this would be a big problem, and now I think we're starting to see where the issue is. Yeah, the Gnostics, while they had priests, their job was more as a facilitator to initiate people into experiences. Mm. But it was believed that the divine spark, the sacred flame within, mm -hmm. was within everybody. So anybody. And we were born with it, We were right? born with it. It was okay. an inalienable right. This goes back to these God-given rights that we were born with. Exactly. That's exactly right. Because it came from the creator, came from source. Because we're all connected to that, anybody can attune with it. Whereas within the Roman church, you needed the intervention of a priest to get to there. Mm -hmm. This is why the priests would perform sacraments of different kinds in order to basically be the, the, the middleman between you and heaven. Right. Within the Gnostic tradition, there was no middleman. Okay. Because you were already connected into that, which is which is great if you're a free person, but it's really bad for business if you're, if you're trying to act as the middleman. Well, yeah, and I think we see the conundrum here. This is, this is the crux of the issue. The other thing that separated Gnosticism at the time from uh, some of the Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholic and other traditions was the Gnostics interpreted the crucifixion, death, and resurrection of Jesus as a metaphor. Right. They didn't believe that he actually physically died and came back from the dead. They interpreted it as a metaphor. In fact, the word resurrection in Greek is anastasis, which just means to wake up. Right. And so they interpreted this as waking up to gnosis, the death of the old self that was attached to the physical world and the awakening to the new realization of gnosis. Uh, they saw metaphors of uh, 
For example, Plato's description of his cave, for those who are familiar with that philosophical model, in which a person is born into a cave looking at shadows on a wall and is interpreting those shadows as reality. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while, somebody will come into the cave and say, hey, there's a whole other world out there. And uh, the people will either, you know, revile them and say, you're crazy. Yeah. Or they'll go out, and if they go out of the cave, then they have a responsibility to help liberate others. If you go back and you look at depictions of Jesus on the cross with Mary Magdalene sitting at the base, right? If you look at the position of their heads relative to each other, this is the position of both Venus and the sun on a particular point on the winter solstice. Yeah, there there were layers of this metaphor. I mean, from the Gnostic standpoint, uh, these Gnostics also looked at Mary Magdalene as representing the Sophia, which was the goddess of wisdom, and that Jesus represented the Christos or the universal consciousness. In the, according to the Gnostic cosmology, Sophia also represented the human soul that incarnates on down into this world, becomes trapped in matter, and it's only through her wedding of the Christos, the universal consciousness, that she's in turn liberated and experiences gnosis. Mm. So the um, this whole play takes place also within the story of Mary Magdalene and Jesus, which right. if we accept that the wedding of Cana was actually the wedding of Mary Magdalene to Jesus. Right. According to the Gnostics, this was the story of how the soul weds itself with the universal consciousness, really. The soul represented the Sophia, Mm -hmm. and the universal consciousness was the Christos. So Jesus, representing the universal consciousness, marrying Mary Magdalene, represented Sophia Sophia represented the individual soul coming to illumination and in fact we even see this alluded to again going back to the death and raising story who's the first to witness the resurrected Christ Mary Magdalene Mary Magdalene she's there at the tomb when when he is resurrected according to the church right that's right and not only that but Jesus was also known for doing things like liberating seven demons from Mm -hmm. Mary Magdalene. Well, to the Gnostics, this was a metaphor for opening the blockages of the seven chakra, Mm -hmm. the seven psychic centers, or also known as the seven seals Mm -hmm. uh, before revelation. And with the opening of each seal, our old perception of the world dies, and then our new perception of who we really are opens up. Well, and, you know, the fact that Mary Magdalene was present at the time of the resurrection, if we go back to that metaphor of the sun on the winter solstice, when the sun comes back, who is always there? Venus. Venus. Even though you can't see her when the sun is above the horizon, she's always there. It's also believed that there were initiation rites that were designed to, to illustrate this. And it may even be that Jesus himself was performing these initiations. Exactly. An example I like to point out is 
the story of Lazarus. In the story of Lazarus, he's said to have died. He was put in a tomb for three days. And then Jesus resurrected him in the town of Bethany. Well, the word Lazarus in Hebrew is El Asur. And it should be pointed out that El in Hebrew means God. Yes. And Asur was the ancient Egyptian name for Osiris, the god Osiris, (laughs) who also went through this death and and resurrection ritual. And the town of Bethany in Hebrew came from Bet Anu. Bet means house in Hebrew. And Anu was the ancient Egyptian abode of the dead. So here you have Jesus raising the god Osiris in the house of the dead, which is either a metaphor that he was passing on this earlier ancient Egyptian tradition, or the person represented a candidate who was symbolically being initiated, and it was tied into this idea of the soul attaining this new level of awakening. Let me just jump on something for a second that I think might add a little something to the argument that maybe we are talking about Jesus was performing uh, a ritual as opposed to physically really dying. And if you look at the 14 stations of the cross when you go to a, a Catholic church, three of those stations talk about Jesus stumbling, right? And then he gets back up on his way to where he's ultimately going to be crucified. Now, as you know, within Freemasonry, we have a degree where there are three stumbles, if you will, that the candidate goes through. I find this an interesting parallel. I also find it interesting that the the grand architect of the building of the temple, a guy whose name was Hiram Abiff, who is killed and then his body is buried out in the mountains, for 14 days. I find this to be a very interesting connection and I think supports the argument that maybe this is um, allegorical and it represents a ritual rather than um, an actual death. Now, having said that, I think it's very important that you and I both make it clear to people watching this show that we are not advocating one position for another. We're not saying this is that or that is that. I think that's for the individual to research it, hear what we say, look into it yourself, and then decide for yourself. Again, the hallmark of Templarism was this belief that the divine spark, the sacred flame was in everybody. And this is again what allowed them to associate with so many people of different faiths. But, They did find that within a lot of the faiths, there was always this mystic element Mm -hmm. that understood these things metaphorically. And it's part of what allowed the Templars to travel and associate with groups all over the world. There were Jewish Kabbalists that represented a Gnostic tradition. There were Druze in the Middle East, or Tahid Mahudun, They were Gnostic Unitarians. They still are. Uh, And they had very close relationships with the Templars in the past and still do to this day. In fact, many Druze are Templars. So I think it's really important for us to try to make a distinction between Gnosticism and religion. And if the Templars were truly Gnostics, 
is that a religion? How do we define that? Yeah, you know, for some Gnosticism was religion, for others it was more of a philosophy. And, you know, there were some that will say, well, there's no evidence that the Templars were Gnostics. You know, you can sit here and, and say they were Gnostics, but where's the proof? And I'll tell you where the proof is. If, if you look at old Templar documents, they used a wax seal on many of them of a figure known as a Braxis. Braxis. Braxis was a Gnostic talisman. A Braxis was a strange-looking figure. He had a rooster head, uh, a human body where he was holding a whip. He wore an apron, and he had snake legs. And he was said to be the son of Sophia. Again, the goddess of wisdom. So what does that mean? I mean, that seems like an apparent contrast, this freaky creature with Sophia. What's the connection? According to the Gnostic cosmology, Sophia gave birth to four main children. Three of them were known as Faith, Hope, and Charity. Yeah, yeah and then the fourth one was Abraxas. Well, Abraxas was said to originally be known as an archon. And what the archons were is they were like prison guards that kept people enslaved to this planet until they had attained illumination. Mm. And so their job was to test people, to to try to put in put people in situations to, to see if they would really practice what they were preaching. Mm. You know, if they were really practicing the from the, the sacred flame within, or if they were gonna act out of fear. According to the Gnostic myths, Abraxas attained illumination himself. He started out as a prison guard trying to keep people enslaved. He came to Gnosis. He found Gnosis, this divine revelatory knowledge, and then he became a liberator of others. Mm -hmm. Now, the stages of his body were said to represent the stages of initiation that, in fact, the Templars practiced. The snake, snake legs represented being bound to the earth. Right. I mean, there's no animal that crawls closer to the earth than a snake. <laughs> yeah. That represented the people of an earthbound personality. The people who are completely ruled by the physical. And that's all they think about. They don't really appreciate the consequences of their actions. They live for titillations and to avoid pain and seek pleasure. And that's it. They, otherwise known as hedonist, right? Otherwise known as hedonism, yeah. correct. But then initiation within the Gnostic tradition first involved a baptism by water or some sort of a lustration of water. Water represented the emotions. And it was believed that all the liquid functions of the body are generated in the abdomen at the place where the apron hung mm. in Abraxas's body. So this represented the first stage of initiation, this mm. apron that Abraxas wore. First degree. Right. Then the goal of this was the initiate had to learn to subdue their passions at this stage within the Gnostic tradition. Right. They taught that not to get rid of your passions, but rather to use them as an energy for transformation. They believed that metaphors in the Bible, like walking on water, was symbolic of learning to stabilize your emotions and not drown in them. 
So use your emotions for transformation. Because then the next stage was associated with air. This is uh, where you have Abraxas with his whip that cracks in the air. And it represented the intellect and the mind and the studying of the arts and sciences that were things of the mind, not for the purpose of being able to prove how smart you are at memorizing facts. That wasn't the purpose. The purpose of it was was to see the bigger order and recognizing that all of these sciences of the mind pointed to the fact that all of our minds are connected to a universal mind. This was the Christos, and, and getting to this place was where you experienced gnosis or enlightenment. Now, the final stage within the Gnostic traditions of which the Templars were passing this on was between the air stage and then going to the rooster head of Abraxas. The rooster head of Abraxas represented fire. And it represented the calling forth to the experience of gnosis, of illumination. I mean, what does a rooster do when it sees the light of a new day? Calls out. Calls out. Crows. Right. So this was the experience of recognizing the light, the source of light, which was meant to be the gnosis. But before that could happen, the Gnostics would usually have perform a ceremony in which the candidate had to symbolically die to their old self and then be raised, resurrected, resurrected to the new light of understanding. This is what was found within all the different Gnostic traditions of the ancient world. It probably came from Egypt, where they were performing the same initiations, and even before that, going back to Atlantis, because we know that even other groups on the other side of the Atlantic, like the Mayans and such, were also performing these ceremonies. So the Templars inheriting this understood what it meant they utilized it, and when they encountered these other cultures that were also practicing these initiation rites, they immediately recognized them as brothers uh, and sisters because they knew they understood the, this mystery that had been passed down from ancient Atlantean times, and this was the foundation of the Gnosis. It just seems to me the evidence keeps building that it comes down to philosophy, ideology, and ultimately this death and resurrection ritual and gnosis and enlightenment that was, you know, this connecting thread between these cultures, not just between Europe and North America, but throughout the world. And in fact, when I met with the Maya down in the Yucatan, yeah. they had a similar ritual in which the candidate is brought into the cenote area where, mm -hmm. where the ritual's being held. This big open hole big that's open got hole. water at the bottom. Water at the bottom. And they have five altars. They have four at the cardinal directions and one in the center. Mm. And the candidates, they have to offer sacrifices of earth, water, air, and fire at the four cardinal direction cardinal ones, after which they're led to the center altar 
They're given a oath that they have to take. They have to take an oath, then symbolically killed, after which they're raised from the dead. Yep. Uh, and reborn. Reborn and presented with a apron uh, by the shaman who has an all-seeing eye painted on his chest. It's done with a particular handshake that just happens to be the same handshake that's used by Templars, it's used by Druze, it's used by Hopi, it's used by a whole number of other traditions around the world, again, which according to all of their traditions, goes back to Atlantis, or in the Mayan case, Aslan. And this ties in ultimately with some of the mysteries of the Holy Grail, We've talked about the Grail a number of times already. The Templars were said to be the guardians of the Grail. Right. According to the Gnostic traditions, the Grail was the meeting point between the individual consciousness and the collective consciousness. That was the point. So to drink from that Grail, symbolically, right, meant to drink from that universal consciousness. Beautifully said, Tim. Thanks for watching this episode of Mysteries of the Knights Templar. <laughs> I think we watched it, didn't we? <laughs> it's good. It's very good. I'll take a chance and listen to, if you put it on there, I'll listen to it late into the wee hours that Abby Martin see if it's anything okay. worth but um, <sighs> we have some other th ideas too anyway this is the final piece this is called superpower ignite your intuitive intelligence communicating with animals mm -hmm. okay. do you ever look at your dog and say, what? 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 Mm. <laughs> you do that to the cats. Meet an expert dedicated to communicating with animals. What do oh. we need to do to connect more deeply to our beloved furry family oh, this is members? With animals. Huh? The one communicating with animals. Well, yes. It's it, it's preceded by superpower. Ignite your intuitive okay, intelligence. Okay, I had the right one. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, our, what do we need to do to connect more deeply to our beloved furry family members and perhaps discover what they are actually telling us. Featuring Miranda Alcott, David Apple, Archie, Bliss, Lear, Linda, Milanesi, Dennis Ostrander, and Rio. Okay, uh, it's in English, <laughs> and it's exactly 34 minutes. So we'll get started now. We will. Mm. 
One of the phrases that I hear a lot is, my horse threw me for no reason. And what I say to them is, actually, an animal doesn't throw someone for no reason. There's always something going on. My job is to see, first of all, why did the animal do that? Then we build a program to be able to support both the human and the animal coming together in how to work with the situation that we have so it's a win-win for both. that I work with animals and their humans. I'm also a medical intuitive, but for animals. So I work under the auspice of veterinarians. What a good girl. That means that if you're having a challenge with your animal, we absolutely ask the animal directly why something happened. Because animals don't do things just to do things. There's always a reason why whether we have trained them inadvertently in our behaviors or whether they're trying to get our attention. But either way, it's important to know. And that's where I work. Alice, girl. Woo! We've known her for years. We deeply respect her work. I think people really underestimate how much our animals can tell us if we just really listen. We have a value system that allows us to work in partnership with our animals. We have a deep respect for their value. We have a deep respect for their intelligence. We always say, take care of the dogs and the dogs will take care of you. Heaven, I'm in heaven. You are gonna make an amazing service dog. Yes, you are. Yes. People will say to me, Miranda, my animal is trying to tell me something, but I don't know what it is. So they're getting the line, but there's a little bit of static in between them and their animal. I take my shoes off by the front door. I was wondering why he, I walk to the bedroom, he grabs one of my shoes and brings it in, and then he'll drop it somewhere. And when I'm ready to leave, there's usually one shoe, sometimes no shoes, and I have to walk around looking for him. But he doesn't chew them up. He just brings them. He'll bring one on the right. bed. Right. When you asked about why does he pick it up, his focus is to protect you. So when I ask him, what does that mean? He says, because he doesn't want to leave your scent that strong where someone else can find it. But then when I ask him, how about showing your human in the morning where the shoe is, he starts laughing. <laughs> he thinks it's a good game, you know, oh, at that point. Yeah. So two two levels of what he gets out of it. Yeah. It's okay. I know most of his hiding spots. <laughs> There's one more thing to oh. it, and that is when he has it and he can breathe into it, he actually gets even more of your scent, which is heaven for him. 
you know, it's just like, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, there's a scent to them, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. One of the main things that I teach is to be able to hear, you have to empty out. You have to make room to be able to hear. So it's all very good and well to say, I want to hear my animal. But the question is, are we actually looking at the culture of that being? Because if we're not understanding the culture of that being, we are then projecting onto them that they should be more human. Being able to connect with those animals requires that we're willing to open up and look at it at a deeper level. We take a look at what stress is in your life. We talk about meditation. We look at co-counseling, meaning with a partner where you talk about your feelings about animals you've had in the past, because that is all inside of us too. All of this comes under the heading of not just, I want to hear my animal, but are you clearing way in yourself to prepare for hearing animals? Rio and I are great companions. We travel a lot, we hunt and fish and camp and hike. But I also am in a program where I need to attend meetings. And uh, those meetings are in an area where an arena or room with about 35 to 50 people. And he comes with me, but he gets nervous. Which he is now. Which he is now. I was wondering if there was anything I could do to make him more comfortable. One of the challenges he says is when he's in the room, he's very sensitive to the other people in the room as well. He says they're all over the place. And he says he can only do what he can do with you. That's his first line. But he says you sort of separate from him a little bit. He's a little confused as to whether to follow you into that situation. He's not sure if he's supposed to administer to the others and he doesn't want any part of that, frankly. I can understand that. Yeah. Um, thank you very much. Yeah. Um, he's asking me to ask you, are you supposed to be healing them? You personally, supposed to be healing them? Because um, he sees you like every so often reaching out to people to, you know, ground or whatever. Uh, that's very true. Um, uh, it's not me healing anybody. It's everybody there healing each other. Ah. So again, it is a lot of people in one place doing that. So there's a lot of energy in that in that yeah, room. Yeah, so. yeah, a lot. So his focus of what he wants to say to you. So if you were to ask, is there anything I can do to help him? Yes. His focus is that that's too much for him. So he would rather be sitting with you off a little to the side or up front or whatever. In other words, he just needs that energetic separation. And in fact, I'm going to pull my leg away just a little because I don't want him to feel. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. He says one of the reasons he's nervous is that you are a good, really good pack leader until you start working with these other people or start whatever, and then your focus divides. Your focus um, not divides because that infers, infers it's 
um, it's a broader focus. And then his focus is, well, what, I thought I was supposed to follow you, or I, so he's questioning, is he doing the right thing? So he puts himself in jeopardy about that. Something to consider is, if you have a dog, and you leave your dog at home all day, and you come home to walk that dog, what you don't want to do is whip out your phone and start working on your phone while you're walking your dog. It's not fair and it's not appropriate and in fact it's rude because this being has waited for you all day and it's only appropriate that you respect that being that you expect to wait in your home not doing what they would naturally do out in the wild and then when you come home you need to be focused he says people are not focused they like to think they know what they're doing people don't know what they're doing they act as though they know what they're doing. He's asking me, why are humans so, my word, scattered, you know? I'm saying, well, that's a really good question. We kind of have that flaw. He says, yeah, and only two legs. I'm saying, <laughs> that's true. I've had people ask me, are you psychic? In some ways I am, but I'm really more telepathic, meaning that I am working with nonverbal communication most of the time. This cat has lived with you for probably seven years, I okay. think. And you use him to help train service dogs to be around cats. Is that accurate? Well, <clears throat> use would be a big word. He lives with the service dogs and he thinks that, I I think that he thinks they're pretty swell. It does help them acclimate to a yeah. cat that doesn't run or anything like that. Right. So for sure, he does provide a service to the service dogs. Good. But I also think he quite likes them. Well, we'll see. He now has to live with a Doberman Tessa. Mm. Can you let him know that she wasn't raised with cats. Mm. And that's why she's... The way she is. The way she is. She can't help it. She's ten and a half. Okay, hold on. He's saying to me, you're not telling me she's going to stay, right? For a while. Um... He says she's fast, but she's not the sharpest knife in the drawer, which makes her very dangerous. All she knows how to do is react, react, react. There's no time for decision in there. You know, it's like, how can you live that way? But that's also a cultural difference. Cats deal with our tension very differently. They actually do better mitigating our tension from their lives until they're older and then they're not as resistant and they're not as able to just let it pass through. But they're better at withdrawing and ascertaining the human may need some balancing, but they don't take it on. They don't use themselves as a sponge to mitigate what's going on with us, whereas dogs can have a tendency to do that. Horses can have a tendency to do that as well. 
He wants to give you a rundown now of what's going on. He says that Lear has been quiet for too long. He says Lear would not admit how much pain he's in because he feels called to help, as always, and he doesn't want to be missing in action. But he says he knows that Lear is going to need more help, and he says he, Bliss, will keep an eye, so you don't have to worry, he will keep an eye on Lear to make sure that Lear has what he needs to be comfortable. He says, but Lear needs to slow down. Lear is his barn name, but his fancy name is Liebes Prince, Prince of Love. He was a very fancy show horse, a jumper. He's an American Trikaner. The Trikaners are a German breed. They were originally from Prussia, and they were used as cavalry horses. Mm. So they're very athletic and very bold, but have a good sense of humor. He's not sure if he'll make another winter. He's just not sure. It's okay. He says he wish he were stronger than he is because he feels he could be more support. But he says right now, this is what he can do. Yeah. Yeah. When the barometric pressure changes, whether cold... his body. More obviously in the cold than in the hot. Yep. He's just not sure that his body will do enough to warrant his wanting to stay in a physical body. But he says, whatever happens, he's your guy. When he fell, did he fall asleep standing up? Yes. Does he like the shavings, to roll in the shavings? Yes, he says he hoped it would bring him more ease in his back. Uh And it just got too confusing. He's not as strong as he used to be, so he couldn't self-correct fast enough, he's showing me. Couldn't. That's what happened yesterday. Yeah. Remember that horses are prey animals, so they are always on alert no matter where they are. They're on alert. They can be relaxed after a while, but if you have your horses in an area where they're exposed to wildlife, like in Colorado and out just any any setting, they're always on alert. So we need to take that into consideration, remembering that the way an animal, especially a horse, sees life is so different from us. We have to join the animal where they are and then take it from there. Yeah. Otherwise, why would they trust us? He actually is starting to communicate on his own now as far as questions and things he wants to ask. One of the things that the two of you share is laughing a lot. He says, but you haven't been laughing. It concerns him because he says you have supported him and he has supported you through everything. And he wants you to know we need to laugh no matter what, because he says that's what keeps us alive. And he says, and if you forget, they will make you remember. <laughs> he says he's concerned about you. He's taking this opportunity to say to you, please walk with me in the morning. He feels that you're forgetting how to walk with him in a way that will help you release 
the tension, the stress that he is feeling. He says, he's helping to ground you by walking with you, but you need to have your feet on the earth. Because he says that's how he can get it out of your body, through your feet. One of the things that dogs do is that they're very sensitive to our stress. This is why dogs make amazing PTSD response service dogs. Please understand there's a difference between PTSD response and emotional support. Emotional support is not a service dog. However, they are of great service to us because they comfort us and they know when we're uncomfortable and what to do. Because of our politics changing so radically, there were many people upset. That causes the daily energy to change. Dogs were the first species that went off in this last four-year period. Domestic dogs were very uncertain because they do look to us, some of us specifically as pack leaders, others of us who are not as strong as pack leaders still were in the pack. And if the pack starts weakening, that survival. So the dogs were concerned about that. So we need to look at what is our stress. He's asking me to tell you sometimes you doubt yourself and he doesn't want you to do that. (laughs) I know. Never ask an animal a question that you don't have the answer to because they'll tell you. So essentially your dog is taking you to the woodshed right now. Sure. And that's understandable. That's one of the things he... He does for me. They call me the vet squared um, because I'm a veteran and a veterinarian. Ah, so, there we go. so uh, I was uh, in the service from 1966 to 1970, at which time I spent in Vietnam from 67 to 68. Do you mind my asking, how does he support you? He, he helps me in, in several ways. Um, uh, one of them is uh, he helps me in my uh, PTSD, uh, uh, where I get to uh, touch him. Uh, he also, I have a very bad back. He picks things up for me. Oh, um, and he gives uh, reassurance to me when uh, um, I face issues that I um, push back for a long time. A long, long, long time. Yeah. So, and he's one of the, of the things that helped me with, with that. With that. Yeah. Wonderful. Yes. I've seen animals do phenomenal healings on humans. Cats are absolutely amazing. Many times they will lay on the part of the body that the human needs healing in. And the human assumes it's loving, which it is, but there's more going on. Someone came to me and said, you know, my cat, I can't understand it. My cat, this goes back maybe 30 years, something like that. Can't understand why my animal um, is laying on my chest. And in checking in with that cat, that cat said, my human, has heart problems and his heart is not regulated. Now what's interesting about that comment is that means that whatever the tempo was that the cat was used to from the human's chest was not repetitive. So I said that to the man, you know, I I don't diagnose, I'm just telling you what your cat is sharing with me. And he said, okay, so we went and got it checked out and he had heart problems big time. And what's fascinating, that cat, so he had an in-house doctor.
He says, sometimes you push yourself further. And that's my expression for what he's showing me, that you push yourself further than your physical energy will do. And he said, and then that gets you into a place that he then has to work really hard. And he wishes that you would stop just a little bit sooner. He says, but sometimes you're so focused on what you're doing and you're excited about what you're doing or you're involved in what you're doing. He wishes you knew more about where it was healthy for you to stop sooner. Am I saying it clearly? Do you understand what he's yeah. saying? Okay. Can he help signal me? Okay, hold on. He senses it. Yeah, that's a great idea. Hold on. His question is, will you pay attention? Yes. He can smell when your biochemistry changes way ahead of time. He picks it up and wants to say, and now we're leaving, or, and now we're just gonna sit down and have water, or now we're just gonna like dial it back. He says he's gonna do his best to use his note. This is really articulate, this is amazing. He's gonna do his best to hit your calf with his nose, just, and so at first I see you kind of, like that's normal for a dog or, you know, he's just slamming into me, but he'll be looking up at you. In other words, he's waiting to see, are you getting this form of intake? He does that, a lot of times he's nudging my, like below my knee. And I thought he was, wants to be petted or something. I didn't, didn't realize he was signaling me. I just got you a raise big time. <laughs> <laughs> More treats. Yes. More treats, got you a raise. Birds are very patient with us. We think we know all about them and we really don't. They require a certain amount of flight to be who they are. And we need to think about that. And I have clients who have birds they dance with so that they can actually fly on their fingers and they fly in the room. They'll rent a big space just to let their animal fly. You know, and that's honoring who that being is. How does he feel about the motorcycle ride? Do I stop often enough? Pretty hot Comfortable. sometimes, really it's too hot. hot. Yeah, he likes it when it's cool. He loves it, especially when other dogs see him get out. <laughs> I'm asking him, how does he feel about moving that fast? He says it's good, he loves the circulation, the air circulation. He says he also loves the fact that it's just the two of you. He says, you only have two legs, but it's good. It's good that you do this because then it's faster than two legs. You know, whatever's happened that is stressful for him during the day, he just comes to life if you choose to then let it out that way by going riding. Yeah. Anything else you want to ask him? kind of curious how he got into the feral cat program because that was ridiculous my neighbor wanted a feral cat for his barn we prepared two crates in the tack room covered with blankets so when the feral cat arrived he would have a safe place to be and so he called me up the next day and said i have the cat and i said well you know we might not see him for several weeks but we'll have to feed him and everything, get him acclimated. 
And so when we walked in the tack room, he was at the front of the crate. So we opened up the crate and he rubbed against our legs. And I said, not a feral cat. Okay. <laughs> What I'm seeing before this was that he actually had a home. Um, he had people that enjoyed him. They fought. The oh. humans fought. Oh. And he thought it was going to be okay, but it was too scary. Yeah, it was easier to be outside. And then all of a sudden, he was scooped up. I don't see him being outside very long. Not very long. Uh, like maybe, I don't know, I keep asking here maybe a month max. But he also had other people that were feeding him that he would hide under the porch of. <laughs> yeah. So he wasn't, he was, he found a way to be safe, even with all the coyotes. Yeah. He's very savvy. That He's way. very savvy. I mean, I, that's his self-esteem is amazing. particular situation that comes to mind right now is a client of mine who was a client of mine for quite some time she and her cat and I was very familiar with this cat in Texas and uh, and she called me and said that her she couldn't find her cat the cat had not been home for 24 hours going on 48 we were somewhere in there maybe 36 and uh, she wanted to know could I please help in any way I got that this animal was very close like I couldn't believe she couldn't see the animal. It was so close. But um, I said, it's trapped. And she said, has someone kept my animal? And I said, well, it's in a structure, but I'm not seeing someone is, you know, hiding the animal or keeping the animal. I didn't see any humans around at all. So I'm thinking, wow, I don't, you know, we're, but that was what I that was what I could do. And I just said, I wish I could tell you that's the best I have. She called me back two hours later, elated, because it was her next door neighbor's garden shed that had been left open and he closed the door. And that cat was in there for almost two entire days. <laughs> so glad to get home, you know, and eat, you know. Those are those those are those just accidents that happen. Uh, I have a, a video I want to show you and then ask you. Okay. Doggy in a pool, swimming around with two people. Let's go, I'll race. gets out of the pool by himself. If I start swimming, he'll run alongside me barking like like yeah. he's really mad at me or... No, he's tense and very stressed. And as stress this comes from, he feels it's not safe for you to be there. Oh. It's interesting because with his swimming next to you, it's just he might as well have been on you, you know? Yeah. And he needs to lose just a little weight. He'll feel better in the pool when he loses a little weight because he's working really hard, at least from what I'm seeing. But... He's aware of the fact that once he's out, 
he's now lost all hope of supporting you. For him, it's a nightmare. So it makes him crazy, you know? Mm -hmm. He chooses to get out. I'm not, he likes getting out on the steps and comes in on the ladder I made him. Yeah, anytime you go to a darker place, which is deep, deep water, um, he knows, yeah, it's okay. It's a heavy conversation, I understand. <laughs> One of the things you can try is to spend time with him in the shallow end inside the pool, so both of you. And then when you're relaxed, going out a ways and turning right back around, out a ways, back around, and then a little bit further back around. So then he gets the idea that, see, keep in mind that your physical presence when you're in the deep end is more extreme than when you're in the shallow end. He triggers on you when there's any physical movement that is extreme. Now he's seeing you in a bottomless pit thrashing. So this may be something that we could talk further about of different ways to work with it. But for right now, we need to make it safe for him so that he understands that's it. And it can be as simple as putting a leash on him and that when you then swim out, not too far, you have and you bring him, you turn right around and you turn around and you turn around. But the leash means a lot to him mm. because you rely on that and he relies on knowing where you are when you're on the leash. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But he likes swimming with me. Yeah. When we're in the water together. We swim, he's under my arm and then yeah. I'm stroking and well, he's he feels good that he knows where you are because he can control that much. But then when he's on the outside, he he doesn't like it. Yeah. So there's just tweaking on the swimming. It's not, you know, understanding where he is that he has his limits for how he feels he can help, and that's when he feels insecure. Yeah. At the same time, he also thinks you're very brave to keep swimming. <laughs> Without him. So it's almost, you know, it's almost like a cross purpose there. But he's, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a beautiful relationship the two of you have. Mm-hmm. He says if you're even thinking about getting another dog, it's not going to fly. <laughs> he thinks that the pod, like we would say the pack, needs to stay small. Another person, okay, but he can't be responsible for someone else. They have to take care of themselves because he's very committed to you. And that's where he wants to focus. I'm asking him, what do you see for yourself now? He says, hopefully somewhere cooler. (laughs) I'm asking him, (laughs) I asked him if there's anything else he wants to say, and he said, what do you want to talk about, the lizards? Like, what do you want to talk about, you know? It's interesting because his attitude is, you've seen one lizard, you've seen them all. Like, that's his attitude, not... What is that lizard carrying? What do they need to say? What is it's like, you know, I, I enjoy lizards and all kinds of life, but uh, he doesn't have time. Wasn't interesting. Which is not to say that he is conceited, because he's not. He just, honest to God, knows who he is. He has a lot of self-esteem. Yeah, which is great. Why is he rolling around in the dirt all the time? Skin is dry. He makes it drier by rolling around, but it's his way of itching. So we should talk about what he's eating. Does he mind that I wipe him down with really wet cloth so he doesn't lick it? Yeah, he goes, that's his response. <laughs> like, like <laughs> why, why do you have to do that? <laughs> it's not shoot the messenger east. I'm just, you know, 
He thinks that you're playing a game that you think is important and he doesn't value it. I don't want him to eat all that dust. Yeah. No, there's there's value, just not from his perspective. <laughs> If you start making yourself available to your animal, that's such a gift. The feedback I get, people are amazed that when they come home from attending the workshop, just when they walk through the door, their animals have changed. Is that true? Or is it that the human has changed and that they're more open to? Wow. And now the animal's going, thank you, you know? because now they get to be heard. jump into our last piece here. This is Aurora Ray from the Galactic Federation. Each mm. of you has been given a frequency and all of you are being tested with this frequency. The mm. frequency you carry determines who you are and how your life will unfold for better or worse. All right, let's do this. Let's do this. Mm. The ultimate secret code of ascension. This is a very important time for us because we can see clearly how much we have changed during these years. We were able to overcome many difficulties, which were not easy because they were unexpected. Now we are stronger than ever before and ready for a new beginning. We are also more aware of our responsibility towards each other and towards our planet Earth, which is our home base. Instead of being split up into several groups or factions that only think about themselves and their own objectives, we need to start working together once more as one cohesive team with love in our hearts and peace in our minds. This phase is called Ascension. 
which means to rise above threed reality. How do you get from this threed prison to the fived reality that is heaven on earth? Is there a secret route? The ultimate secret code that unlocks the gates of ascension is love. Love is something that you feel or believe. When we say love, we are talking about the energy of light that exists within us, all and around us, all at all times, which can be activated by our thoughts, words, and actions in order to create more beauty in this world. The universe has created a system for us so that we may know how to make good choices in our lives, ones that will be beneficial for all beings, including ourselves, on this planet Earth at this time in history. We only need to understand how these systems work in order to fully utilize them for our own good as well as that of our planet. The primary reason I am writing this post today is to give you some insight into who we are, what our purpose is, and how we plan to serve humanity in this lifetime. Every day, we work with an energy system that has many levels of frequency that run through it, like ripples in a pond or waves in the ocean. These frequencies are both positive and negative, and they can have an effect on people's lives depending on their level of consciousness at the time they come into contact with them. In order to understand how these frequencies affect us physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, we must first understand what these frequencies are made of and why they exist in our world today. The frequencies are coming from within your soul and are being transmitted to you through this day. The energy that was created when God first came down from heaven impacted all living things on earth at that moment in history, including humanity and all other species on earth. It did not matter whether they were plants or animals, they all responded with an instant reaction to God's presence. They had no choice but to respond in whatever way they saw fit because they had no choice in the matter. All were affected by God's presence in that one moment in time. Even though it may have seemed like nothing happened at first glance, the energy of God is still around us every day because it has been built up over millions of years. It is the energy of love. It is the frequency of love. Love is the frequency that you have been asked to carry. It is not an action. It is not a thought. It is not a word. You must carry it in your body and in your heart. You must learn how to love before you can teach others how to love. Each of you has been given a frequency and all of you are being tested with this frequency. The frequency you carry determines who you are and how your life will unfold for better or worse. The reason this world has become so messed up is that we do not know how to love each other. We do not understand how to give and receive love. So we have created rules, religions, and institutions that only serve themselves. We have created wars and revolutions because we do not know how to give or receive love. Therefore, we must learn how to share our gifts with each other before we can truly live in peace on this planet. We have come to the point in our evolution where we must learn to create out of love. We do this by learning how to carry the frequency of light and love, which is a frequency that has no opposite. It is non-dualistic. It cannot be separated from anything else because it has no opposite. 
This is what makes it so powerful. If you are in the presence of someone holding this frequency, then you cannot separate yourself from them because there is nothing at all separating you. You are one with them and they are one with you. You must allow yourselves to begin carrying this frequency now because when you do, your lives will change dramatically for the better in every way possible. The world will change into something never seen before on planet Earth. The world will become a place where love reigns supreme and where everyone can live in peace and harmony together, sharing their gifts and talents freely with each other without fear or judgment. Love is the natural state of being. Love is what makes the world a better place. Each and every one of us has a unique gift to share with the world. So let's open up our hearts and share it. We love you dearly. We are here with you. We are your family of light. We are the Galactic Federation. Aho. This is a message to humanity from Aurora Ray, ambassador of the Galactic Federation. A long farewell of the earth saying good night. We fleet, we float, we fleet, we float, we fly. Good night, good night, good night. And I'm going to pass this talking stick to Rainbird to sing the final good night. Here it comes with that emerald serpent feathered one on it. Rainbird. I got it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. I'll, I'll listen. I'll stay up to burn the midnight. I'll listen to Abby Martin. They were just acting too silly and too noisy for the moment. So we'll see yeah. what happens tomorrow or this yeah. afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. I um, I'm glad I switched over. <laughs> And listen to what you had on, because I was watching the YouTube, and you were right. It was too much wine, maybe. (laughs) Well, I mean, when I first heard them say that, you know, going against Hamas, they didn't see the, they didn't see that that was our deep state operation. And I went, "Uh uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Uh-oh. Well, (laughs) Anyway, I'll, I'll I'll remember to be listening to the radio next time because I le- I hang I hung on for a long time when I switched over. It was like, oh, I'm so glad you did that. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Okay, so you were listening to them. I I had it on YouTube because I found it and I thought, well, I wanted to see what they looked like. And yeah. and then I got real bored, and I think I fell asleep. And then TJ called me, and I and I got to listen to something else. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, okay, well, you must have missed a couple of the pieces we played, but yeah, okay. I probably did. And and so you know, I'll. Oh, okay. Well, then you just you just reconfirmed what I was thinking that this wasn't worth going any further. All right. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, so good for you for shifting it. And I just kicked myself for not having paid attention that that was happening because I was not on the radio. I was on the YouTube. Oh, dear. Okay, well, <laughs> everybody, 
everything's for a reason, and we love everyone. And I think we better let TJ jump in bed. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So, yeah, thank you for everything, and I passed the talking stick. Okay. Rama, are we all done? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, then you get the final word, Rainbird, until we meet this afternoon. And everybody will see you on the bridge and in your dreams. I know there's something to be good about everything we do now. Sarah now. Namaste. <laughs>